boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, those who don't describe their gender, welcome to Pilot of the Dragon Podcast. This is a full review podcast of episode 8 of House of the Dragon, titled Lord of the, Flo- Lord of the Tides, not Lord of the Flocks, Lord of the Tides, from Spencer. Uh, that's the that's the guy who runs Driftmark, FYI, just in case you didn't know. And mm-hmm. we did a recap podcast on this. We were both really digging the episode. I told you I was going to do this. I told you I was going to start this way. Spencer, have your thoughts changed about the episode during the week? I've now rewatched it twice. I have intensely studied various reviews, criticism, compliments going to the episode. I've watched reactions. I've read recaps. I've gone into detail on scenes I thought I liked, scenes I thought I disliked, so as to reassess and fully analyze my views, and my ultimate conclusion is, this is a marvelous hour of television. Yes! Woo! Oh my god. I was like, I wish this was a video podcast sometime. I was like, doing the nervous, like, nail-biting thing, uh, worried that he was going to flip on me, because, you know, honestly, man, a lot of people in my life have said they don't like this episode, and like... It's the it's like one of the few times where like you and I are in the trenches together. Like no, nope, damn it, two, like, two episodes in a row like now. <laughs> yeah, we like it. Fuck all you other people. So um, yeah, I agree. Um, I loved it. Now uh, you, I'll, I'll go ahead and prompt you. You asked me how many times have I watched it. You just said you've watched it three times now total. I've watched it a total of three times. Yes. Okay, I've watched it a total of twice, and the reason for that is that, like. Make fun of me if you want. It's totally fine. I don't care. I'm just being honest with people. Please. It emotionally affects me. Like, so watching It was too much. It was. It was a little bit like, it was a wonderful hour of television, but I can't just throw that on and watch it because I'll start crying because what happens when Viserys makes that walk? um, Oh, God, yeah. I, like, I saw, like, my granddad I was really close to who, who died, and he was a really, really proud man, this big old-school country guy, you know, big bear hug, monster hands on him, and he had liver cancer. He declined, and he died after, like, really failing his health, right? But all the way up until the end, he would do little things. Like, you know, if he had to use the bathroom, he would always stand up, even though he was, like, on his deathbed. He, like, forced himself to stand up. And I see that sort of, like, resolve and determination, fighting age, fighting illness in the Viserys character. And it relates to some things I've seen in my life with people I love and care about. And that's why it makes it so impactful. And that's why I think it's so masterful. Because if there's anything that is universally relatable in this world, it's that we all get old and we all get sick and we all die. Absolutely. And and that is what we're seeing on screen from a character that we, we obviously pretty much all had universally positive thoughts about and then you see you see him fighting well at least you don't hate him right it's not like definitely not it's not like Aegon, right it's not like prince Aegon is is doing this right it's somebody that it's kind of you know we don't dislike and seeing him fight age illness for and, and for someone else right to be of service one last time to the people that he loved it really was a lot for me. So I watched it twice. That's the least amount of rewatch it I've done this entire Game of Thrones. Anything, you have watched, I normally watch it five or six times. So You have watched abject shit that we've seen before on the, in the Game of Thrones lexicon six or seven times in preparation for us to, to talk about it. But this episode, who is among the best... I, would you say this is in your top ten, at least, top five of Game of Thrones episodes? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it sounds like people are going to think I'm, like, overstating it and that it's recency bias or whatever. I will tell you this five years from now because of how impactful that performance was. It was definitely a top five episode of Game of Thrones for you. It's probably in the neighborhood of, like, three or four. Wow. Um, That's quite uh, a statement. For me, in, in the whole, in the whole thing because 
I, yeah, it's kind of what I said on the recap, which is that it hit me differently than Game of Thrones does, and therefore the episode stands out against the rest of the universe. Well, and it's weird too because, in some ways, I almost feel that Game of Thrones is a victim of its own success, just because of how much it changed course going into the later seasons of what people's expectations are of the show, of where. This was a decidedly Shakespearean hour of television in terms of style yeah. and themes, yeah. tragedy played out in a particular kingly character. And we haven't gotten that a long damn time. I haven't had the words Shakespearean assigned in the same sentence of Game of Thrones in years other than an utter mockery. And so having it seemingly plainly applied to an episode of television, I mean, this is what I'm here for. This is what I eat up when it comes to what I know Game of Thrones is capable of. So I'm in bliss when it comes to it. But I fully understand respect that for a lot of people, this isn't what they're after when it comes to right. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah, and I seesawed, right? Because, like, when this season started, I was very much prioritizing the big moments, the battles. The, the spectacle. The, 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 the yeah, spectacle, right? Because, I, like, I, like I mentioned on the recap podcast, I was watching this like a sporting event, and what this episode did is tilt me back. I'm still going to appreciate the big battles and the dragon scenes <laughs> and all that stuff. I'm absolutely still going to love it, but to to give me a different perspective of like okay well the show's not just you know I'm watching my favorite football team in the Super Bowl and I'm rooting for them to beat the other team it can also be you know an emotionally affecting drama and story that's being told and there was no there there wasn't a single dragon this entire episode was there I don't no, think there was a dragon eggs and that's as close as we got I mean and you've said before that you at one point mocked a few episodes back over oh they just ha they just hanged on that scene for like you know five or six minutes straight with so little happening we get a four minute shot of an old guy struggling across the throne room and it may be top three most impactful moments I've had in all of Game of Thrones. Maybe almost all fantasy media I've seen, at least in many a year. Yeah, I, the, so we saw Cersei blow up half a city block. We saw Daenerys burn an entire city. We saw Jon Snow fight with thousands of soldiers, hundreds of thousands, or thousands of horses, hundreds of thousands of soldiers. We saw them fight hundreds of thousands of the others. We've seen dragon battles. We've seen fire. We've seen like 20 to 25 people burning in one shot in the Game oh, of Thrones yeah. universe. And I can tell you, this this impacted me more emotionally because I could relate to it. Mm -hmm. And I saw in Viserys people that I love, that I, I've seen decline and die. I saw that in the character. And, you know, he gave a really great interview where he was talking about his um, motivation for the character, right? Because he, he kind of helped... This, this, but by the way, folks, if you haven't read the books, like this is a very different series than the books, and they kind of crafted him on the fly. Ryan Condal did, along with the other writers, and also Patty Constantine. And Patty said that he watched his grandmother die of diabetes, and that she actually had both her legs amputated, and that mm. she had sores. And it was, you know, it's kind of similar, right? That kind of decline, and so he used that as a motivation to to portray this character, you know, getting sick and dying of leprosy. And I think that's why, because he's I think he's doing like what I what I'm doing when I'm watching it, which is seeing my my grandparents, seeing the older people that I've seen in my life pass away and die. The reason I'm seeing that is because he's portraying that. He's portraying mm -hmm. his grandma like the, how she died, right? So it what? it was a great interview and pretty insightful as to why he portrayed it that way and then it made sense as to how I I internalized it. Well, and it's a testament to the writers of the show, because if you noted, they basically created this character out of some cliff notes and whole cloth of where they had data points of what the guy did and vague descriptions of inside of his character of where he was basically fat, happy, and just wanted to make everybody content around him and didn't give much of a shit about the details. And they took that and turned him to a tragic, tortured, 
constantly feeling that he's not measuring up to his imagined history of the greats character that becomes one of the most compelling people that they've ever provided in Game of Thrones media. Yep. And they did that. The writers of the show did that. George R. R. Martin himself is saying that they crafted this character in a way that he didn't expect and it wasn't the direction he was going with it necessarily. Did you see and his blog post today? No. What is, what so George say? posted a blog post today. Not a blog. The ki- yeah, not a blog. It wasn't a blog post. Not a blog. He posted, he said that the character that Patty Constantine portrayed, especially in this episode, mm-hmm. this episode especially, was so good that he wanted to rip up the pages of Fire and Blood where he'd written oh. the series and rewrite it as as the character. And he, he said he was obviously joking. He's By the way, he's working on Winter Winter. He's not going to rewrite Fire and Blood. Settle down. But... But I thought that was a kind of a cool concept that he would, he, I mean, cause George is not, he's a pretty proud guy a lot of times about his very work. So. And for him to very explicitly say, this is so much better than what I had envisioned for the character. And so much so I wish I had written it is kind of the highest of compliments, I think. Definitely coming from him. Certainly so. Okay. So let's get into our recap of the episode. This is episode eight, House of the Dragon, titled Lord of the Tides. We will go through our recap, which I will lead Spencer. He, chimes in what are you anecdotes funny stories hilarious comments and then we will get to best line of the episode spencer will supply me with nominees of best line of the episode and i got emperor of the segment will select best line of the episode we have a little tradition here i usually select some line that he hasn't nominated eh, just go what we do and then we have <laughs> it's kind of like i don't know 80 percent of the time i pick a line you haven't you haven't selected hmm. and then we go to is game of thrones back which i'm changing to House of the Dragon is here. I changed Ooh, it last week. It has so earned house, itself it's, now. <laughs> so now it's now the segment is House of the Dragon is here, and then we will say goodbye to our sweet summer, sweet summer children, our unsullied people who haven't read the books, don't want to be spoiled about where the story goes. We will let them go, and we will have a book only or spoiler only um, dive into the books of difference between the show and the books. So we will really get into book lore and where we see the story going, and a lot of spoilery stuff. So if you don't know. Don't know where the story goes, or you don't want to know where the story goes. Please drop off when we tell you, because we get very spoilery in that section. So, Spencer, are you ready for the recap? Yes, sir, I am. Whoa! All right, so, I don't know about you, but on my HBO app, I got a little teaser for White Lotus Season 2. I think I did Um, as well, yes. I don't think you watched White Lotus Season 1. I did. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It won all kinds of Emmys. Uh, Season 2 is going to be a lot of fun, so... Eh, maybe we'll cover that on the on Mangum Talks. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, uh, then we get I, into I mean, the previously on and Aegon's Prophecy. Spencer, Aegon's Prophecy. Hey, 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 Spencer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Please don't forget Aegon's Prophecy. Please don't forget Aegon's wait, wait, Prophecy. Forget what? Is, the, the, is there a dagger involved or Aegon's something? Prophecy. I, I lose track. I feel, I feel like they <laughs> – here's what I think happened, right? They addressed it on the show in episode one, but I think that they're pretty worried that people are going to forget between episode one and episode eight. So they, they made sure to hammer that hard in the previously on, on multiple episodes now. Yeah, it's, it's been a recurring theme. I think it was like episode two was the last time we really hit it hard. And then that's why there's just been a few casual references since. So it's fair, but dear God, did they hit it a lot of times there in every preview. It's like, I appreciate this, but I was paying some attention in the prior eight, seven hours coming to the press. Thank you. Well, I think now they know 20 million people watch, so they're just trying to cover their bases. <laughs> um, so I think we have a new opening, Spencer. I think I caught it. I think the bloodline, they show Renera, and then they're off in sort of the back. They, they show the Renera emblem, and then off in the back, there's the Damon emblem, and the blood connects. I think they changed it for Damon and Renera's marriage. That's what I'm saying. 
could could they just have like little words pop up underneath the logos no. for next season? Would, would that cost them so much just to clearly say who the hell they're talking about with these logos? It's gatekeeping. You know what it is? It the is intro is gatekeeping. Very much. <laughs> intentionally gatekeeping, yes. <laughs> so we start with All Black again, uh, and we hear Rainey's saying it's been six years since she's seen her husband. Whoa. How long of a time Whoa. jump has it been? I, I'm losing track. Nine, nine years between episodes, and Rainey's hasn't seen her husband in six years. She wants to know if he'll live, and he apparently led his sailors into an ambush. It was a ship made to look as if it was abandoned and people jumped out and attacked. A Q of ship. Corliss, of course, Corliss fought because why? He's sea snake. He fights. That's what he does. His neck was slashed. He fell in the water. He lost a lot of blood. But the real problem right now is that he has a fever that is burning from within, Spencer. Now, is it fair to say this is the second largest time jump we've had yet on the show? So I think we had yes. one time jump that was 10 years. So this is a little bit shorter than that. Somehow, yeah, a big though, one. Somehow, despite the fact we get all new actors who look very little like their child, generally look very little like what their children versions look like, I found this the least jarring of the time jumps, and I was kind of surprised by that. Maybe we're just trained at this point. Yeah, I agree. You know, and Martin today on his Not A Blog talked about the time jumps, and he, he recognized that they were somewhat controversial. I think the thing to tell the audience is that they're over. It's over. The, this was the Time jumps are completely over. It's done. This is the last one. This entire season is best to be viewed as an extended prologue to actually the subject matter they wanted to get into. So yes. kind of view it in that way. We're, we're hitting highlights of history as we go through to give you some background to then get into the meat. Very well said. So he's got a fever that's burning from within. I think what they're going for is maybe his blood is infected. He's got a blood infection, which typically would mean you would die. You don't always die, but you typically means that. Oh, so this clearly could go ahead. Without antibiotics today, you've got a very strong likelihood of dying, and they do not have penicillin or any equivalent available in this given age. No, but they do have the disease leprosy that Spencer is very willing to name and call leprosy throughout this Undiagnosed weekend. skin condition. It has not it's been clear. diagnosed. <laughs> this clearly concerns Rainey's. She asked where the ravens came from, Evenport. So that's not that far away from Driftmark. So she said, okay, three days. He'll be here in three days. Let's get him ready. Let's get ready to have, have my husband come home. Vayman comes out of the shadows. That's a little bit of a pattern this <laughs> on, episode. Vayman coming out of the shadows. And it says that this, while the sea snake's strong, he's seen, quote, blood fever overtake men half his age. Rainey's wants him not to speculate on Corliss's death, but Vayman retorts that he loves his brother, but he must be honest with himself. Uh, we may, um, you know, basically, if we see the sea snake gone, who will take the Iron Throne, or the Driftwood Throne, sorry, who will take the Driftwood Throne? Rainey says it will pass to Lucerius Valerian, as was Corley's wish. So, here's the thing about Rainey's. She's very consistent through this episode. When asked, she doesn't always offer it, but when asked, she will tell you it was Corliss's wish for Lucerius Valerian to take the Driftwood Throne upon his death. Why? Because it, it, going through his, his son Lanor's line, these mm -hmm. his son Lanor's children, and the oldest, Jaceres, presumably will take the Iron Throne one day. So the, it, he wants it to go to Lucerius, which we even saw him talking to Lucerius in the last episode, Very telling nice him, this is all going to be yours one day. So yeah. we ha we know this is true. The, yeah, the Sea Snake's intent here is beyond debate. As the king will point out, point out later in the episode, why are we even talking about this? It's obvious what the Sea Snake wanted. Now, Rainey's doesn't. We had pretty clear last episode that she actually personally does not particularly want that. But... No. She is not going to in any way lie about what her beloved wishes to occur. And though she flirts with it, she is intent, she is intended to enforce his wishes too. So for those that didn't listen to the recap podcast, I admitted 
this guys, come on. I don't get everything right. I got the, I got the take on Rainey's wrong. Okay. Rainey's is good people. I'm not going to go long form on it right now because we get to a point when she's talking with Renera later that I really want to go long form about why I was good, wrong about Rainey's character and why Rainey's is somebody we should root for. I've completely flipped on this and I will talk more about it later in the episode. So, um, Veyman says his, he is Corliss's own blood. The closest blood relative he has left. Which True. is interesting to me. Well, uh, maybe. I mean, we do see Reyna in the background. And Reyna, without a doubt, you know, woman, so it doesn't count. Well, without mean, a doubt, Reyna is his own blood. Not, not the genetics matters shit when it comes to a fantasy setting, but he is his brother. So, yeah, it, literally speaking, yes, he's probably the closest blood relative. But, yeah, he's utterly dismissing the idea that, well, you're not disputing that Damon and Lena's daughters are legitimate, are you? No? Then shouldn't they count if you're going to dismiss the other three? He doesn't have an argument on that subject. Rainey's other than he's going strict male primogeniture, I guess. I think that's the thing, right? Because because um, I believe it's um, Reyna in the background. Or no, it's Bela that she takes to Th- Ward, I think it's right? Bela. Bela. She has one, yeah. Bela, yeah. So Bela's in the background, and Bela says, I don't know, Mom's Grandma's pretty comfortable on that chair. And he goes, uh-uh. Yeah, uh-huh. He just dismisses mm-hmm. that, just not even... <laughs> He says, she's only there because of her husband, is basically what he says. So Rainey says he should be careful with all that talk because wouldn't could take his words for treason. It is treason in this society to question the legitimacy of Renera's children. Why? Because the well, king just said it is. He said it in front of the whole family, in front of everybody. I will take your tongue if you question the legitimacy of my child or my grandchildren vayman is so aggressively going out on a limb when it comes to the strategy he's i was gonna say he was betting everything on black but he isn't he's he's doing he's doing the opposite but he is risking everything (laughs) on a single turn of the wheel that this all gonna work out because this can go wrong in so many ways a the sea snake doesn't die he's gonna be pissed b if you don't get all your ducks to align perfectly in terms of what you now expect from the alliances and negotiating with the queen or whatever else. Everyone else that, you know, you now tried to step over or step on is going to be pissed. So this, it's not a Hail Mary because he has done his research going into this and you know, put the steps in place. But this either wins incredibly or he's dead. Those are the options. And I don't, I think he's aware of that by the end of this episode. You know, and it's like, yeah, Uncle Lee out there to the kids. Like, always, 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 no matter how much you think you got it in the bag, check your confidence. Like, you never want to be yeah. the overconfident yeah. person. Get a third overconfident The overconfident person always trips on the step they didn't see coming, right? So don't be the overconfident person. Veyman, very obviously overconfident in this situation. He says, I Bites speak the truth, Rainey's, and you know it. Rainey says the matter has been decided, Veyman says, by a man whose ambition has brought down calamity after calamity. So he's actually attacking Corliss now. Uh, again, doubling down on terms of, I've got my own base of power now, and it's not you, and I don't need any of you anymore. Corliss says, Veyman says that Corliss only cares for the history books. Probably strikes home a little bit to Rainey. She does turn her head when he says that. Mm. Veyman says that um, uh, he wants to know uh, about the Valerian line. It should it shouldn't be snuffed out by the pups of how strong. And then uh, he says this, Driftmark is mine by all rights. And while I should like your support, I do not need it. The winds mm-hmm. have shifted. The crown has good reason to support my claim. So what's interesting is that like there is a exact moment when he needs her support later. Like, so he dismisses the exact thing he needs to get this thing through with overconfidence by saying, "I." He, what, here's the thing. He doesn't respect women the same way he respects men, obviously. Plainly he, not. 
was not going to beg to a woman. And he was so excited to say that line, to tell her, I like your support, but I don't need it. But he wasn't thinking strategically as always, overconfident as all hell. There is a moment later where him and Rainey's are going to share a glance in the throne room, and you can just almost see in his eyes just a prolonged fuck just stretched out across the screen of his last mental thought. It was wonderful. Rainey's tells him that her cousin will have his tongue for this, foreshadowing. Vaiman mm. says, but it is not the king who rules the iron, who sits the Iron Throne these days, good sister, it's the queen. Cut mm-hmm. to a great drone shot, and I think this is the only like sense of a dragon we get the entire episode, because there is a dragon shadow over the drone shot, so we get a sense like a dragon's flying around but, or something. This is also the first real visual we've ever really gotten of Dragonstone. I mean, we've previously seen a black sand beach, we've seen a hell of a lot of various approaches to that castle, but the volcano and the actual, you know, ecosystem that's going on on this island, this is kind of new, and I love it. I'll tell you what I appreciated is the fact that there were certain parts of the castle that seemed to be under repair. That yeah. they were scaffolding up, they were doing some repair work. It, it seemed to be just like a normal, thriving, big building that needed periodic repairs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we cut to Damon, and he is climbing, and I'll tell you, scared of heights, don't like the way he's climbing. He's having to <laughs> shuffle down between two rocks that is like a crevice. feet high. Damon is a tough motherfucker. Um, and he walks up to a pile. And when we he hits the pile, Spencer, I don't know if you caught that. We got little hints of the Targaryen theme. I, I did pick up on that. I think I may, I may have gotten into like the little, at least the subtitles I get every now and then will actually just say what the category of music is that comes up. And I think they even oh, said something good. like that. Oh, that's really good. I, I don't know that mine does that. That's really nice. But yeah, it's it's a it's the Targaryen theme they're hitting in the background. Why? Because this is like the most Targaryen shit of all time. He's going to get dragon eggs. And this is the first time we've ever seen how dragon eggs are laid. So they don't seem to be laid like a like a chicken lays an egg. It seems like they actually almost like defecate or like they have they have a big pile it, that they exude from them, right? And you have to crack into it to get the egg. And guess what? The pile is hot and burning. Why? Because the inside of a dragon's hot and burning. It's so fucking cool. I thought this was a really neat scene. Yeah, it's a fascinating bit of biology we're learning here of where there's effectively like an external wound that's being emitted that cooks the eggs still while they're in this little protective pouch as they're laying on the ground. The dragon seemingly doesn't, like, build a nest or whatever else. It just kind of leaves no. them behind because they're going to be fine inside so this little like pod. So like it's like the afterbirth has, like, coals or something. In yeah. It. And you, when they take the egg, they obviously, we've shown, they, they keep it in heat until it, it hatches. So they have to recreate the whole thing, you know, in order to yeah. hatch it you know, somewhere they, else. They really should just haul the entire package with them. It seems like they'd be much more, you know, efficient, really. Except that they seem to lay them in really, really difficult places, places to get to. In volcanoes. <laughs> Which would make sense because they're trying to, they want to lay it somewhere where, you know, like a random, you know, animal or something's not going to come along and bother it. So it, it makes sense they're going like out of their way, right? So well, it all, it all sort of jives. It's also interesting that Damon himself is going to do this. He's, he, he takes the three eggs right back to three, to a couple dragon handlers later who totally could have done this themselves, but Damon wants to be the one to do it. Damon Targaryen wants to be useful. Damon Targaryen is the guy that will walk in your house and you're like, hey, let me give you the quick tour. And you got like a closet door that's off its hinges and he'll say, hold on, I got you. Let me let me get my tool belt out and I'll fix it. Like he is the guy who wants to be doing something, accomplishing tasks and being useful all the time. And this is something that you and I posited on this podcast. He wants to be needed. Like he, he feels like he has things to provide and Rhaenyra is letting him go and he's constantly we see it throughout the episode he's constantly trying to be helpful to her cause he's doing tasks mm-hmm. 
And in this case's task is to find Cyrax has laid three new eggs. A very meaningful number when it comes to what he has plans for them. Yeah, absolutely. Then we see Damon get a scroll from Bela. So it is Bela. It's definitely Bela <clears throat> who's who's there uh, being award with Rainey's. And I got the, the scroll. I got the, I got did, the did you? I could not read the handwriting for the life of me on that thing. So here it is. It says, Father, I write with news of Uncle Vayman, who this moment sails to King's Landing. He plans to appeal to his grace, the king, in matters of succession rights and the sanctity of blood. He wishes for the Driftwood throne to pass to him. That is his by rights, and that he is the only untainted choice, Bela. That gets the message across quite well. And, you know, Damon has a reaction kind of like, uh, oh, fuck. Like, I yeah. got some, like, this is, Chick- this is chicken's something I'm going to Chicken's coming home to roost right now. Cuts her in air. She's walking in the Dragonstone room. Um, that has the big table. It's got the big map table in there. They, Did you see they, that? they hold it back. Either, either again, there are multiple rooms that look very similar to this, or they brought the table back into the room. We were debating this le- later. I'm going with, this is just the map room table. We were in different rooms previously. I'm going to guess that. And Jace is trying to learn High Valyrian. He's clearly struggling, but Jace seems to study the way that Spencer studies, which is, um, I got a chapter I need to learn. I will sit and read it a thousand times. I will never sleep. I won't eat. I won't even blink until I know the fucking chapter. That is how Jace fucking rolls, man. He is like putting a lot of pressure on himself to learn this right away. And like good, good mother that Renera is, she's like, Jace, you don't have to learn this right now. He's like, a king has to learn it. A king has to learn it. And he's like, well, she's like, well, you're going to kill me because I'm going to be queen first. So settle <laughs> down. But we all see people like, like, and I, you know, I, I was obviously being a little facetious, but I think you do have some of those character traits, like the people who, when, they have something to learn or they like uh, whatever. They, they put a lot of pressure on themselves to do it right away. You know, it, it's the style of learning of where you're looking at a brick wall going, I bet my head will break. I bet the wall will break before my head does. Let's find out and just keep going until it happens. I was specifically thinking about how you studied for the bar, right? How you went to like a hotel. I think you said you went to a hotel room and really just like nothing, like got everything away. Other than you and the things to study, right? And it seems like Jace has kind of the same sort of approach here. He is absolutely obsessing about this. Well, and it's a it's a very important scene because this is one of this is we have not gotten that many moments of Rhaenyra being a mom, at least mm-hmm. when it comes to her, to her children. And this is this is going to stand in pointed contrast to the mom moment we get of Allison and her eldest later on in this episode. Damon walks in, and Rhaenyra asks for the room. Uh, Damon hands her the scroll and she correctly reads that Vayman will be calling Luke's legitimacy into question. When I say Luke, I'm talking about Lucerys. They call Luke. him Luke in the show, so I'm going to call him Luke. Uh, and by extension, Jace, and by extension, her own right to the throne. I don't understand that last one, Spencer. Can you answer it for me? I don't understand how her having bastards would stop her succession because her succession is tied to the fact that she is her father's daughter and named heir. I think the expectation here is that if it is revealed that she fathered bastards and that they're effectively the, you know, the further legacy of her line, it will undermine her base and lead to more people willing to challenge her claim to the throne or support alternatives uh, to sitting the throne after her father dies. She sees it kind of like as a fundamental broadside to her entire plan, to, to her entire presentation of what she's offering in terms of being heir. So it's not, it's not two plus two, right? Like, so it's not, cause like with Jace, it's like Jace plus Harwin Strong as dad equals can't can't succeed yes. to the throne. With her, it's it's not quite that way because she's still Viserys' daughter and still the named heir. It's just the idea that she would lose all of her political support. Uh, Very that, much that would so, ulti- yes. ultimately contribute and, to her and, ascending and being queen. And potentially, based on what arguments are made, it could lead to her the faith try to bring up charges against her. 
you know, there's a certain element of rule. They could try. The Faith has tried this shit before. We saw it. On, we saw it in mainline Game of Thrones when the Faith gets uppity. They do things when it comes to royalty. Um, but so <laughs> that's where that's where I hope they would pivot to more book Renera. Because can you imagine if the Faith tried to arrest her? Straight book Renera. Straight Magor. Just like you know. Book, oh, you're in I'm that gonna, sept, burning it down. I got my I got my copy of Fire and Blood. I'm going to read a little passage about how Book Renera handles things later. But, uh, but suffice to say, the the Faith would not get away with that particularly easy, especially especially now that she's with Damon. By the way, because if she would, they were to catch her slipping like they did Cersei and get her in a cell. Can you imagine what Damon would do? Unbelievable. Um, the building that the cell is in would no longer be standing by that evening. Woo! Um, so Renera, Damon says that Feynman cares. All, he, so Feynman is. Here's what's clear about this conversation is that Damon strategizes with her. He's an equal in this. And I really like that because he immediately starts like bouncing ideas off her. He says, well, Veyman cares only about Driftmark and the Valerian line, not quote our politics, meaning Targaryen politics who ascends to the Iron Throne, which I actually don't think is true, but that's what Damon says. Rhaenyra notes that Rhaenys has flown to King's Landing. So she flew on the Red Queen fast. <laughs> she yeah. got there quick. She won fucking dragons fast. She she got the yeah f- fastest dragon that there is right now, and she pointedly wants to be at the center of the politics for this moment, which is just further proof for Ra- Ra- Rhaenyra and Damon of oh we are three steps behind when it's coming to what's going on right now. I've heard people complain that it's kind of hard to keep up with the number of dragon riders. I totally get that Lots. criticism, um, and it is probably difficult for a casual to know that Rhaenys even have a dragon. So that's why I want to reinforce it to you all. Rhaenys has a dragon. It's called the Red Queen. And he, she flew to King's Landing about for over this issue, and her dragon is super, super fast. That's the things to remember. Yeah, in terms of visuals, every time that we've seen Sea Smoke since the first chapter where Sea Smoke was introduced and killed a lot of people from the Triarchy, Sea Smoke has been flying with the Red Queen. So they've, they've always been operating in pairs. Interesting. That's a good catch. Um, so... Renera is pondering if Rainey's is going to support Feynman, and Damon thinks no. Uh, he says, look, whatever disagreements we may have had, she's not cruel or stupid enough to do that. And Rainey says, Rainey, Rhaenyra questions the word disagreements. <laughs> it's like, hey, uh, she think we killed her son. So that's, <laughs> a, that's a big reveal <clears throat> that we speculated on <clears throat> that over the last nine years, Rainey's might think that Rhaenyra had something to do with the killing of Lenor, right? Fair. Fa- <clears throat> they themselves were basically marketing this. Of the realm will think that we did this and we could use that to our advantage. And we commented that, well, you know, his mom and dad probably will too, and th- you don't want them thinking that. That could be problematic. But see, I had hoped that the 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 fact that they had staged it the way they did, they had a guard there saying, "Yeah, I saw them fighting. I saw Lenor pressed up against the fire." That like maybe that would convince Rainey's that that Rhaenyra had nothing to do with it. Apparently, that didn't work because Rainey's apparently thinks Rhaenyra did it. Which you know, fair. You know, she's not right, but they intentionally set it up to look that way. Damon says, yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, she's taking Bela to ward. Bela is his son with Lena, Hostage. who got Lena, who got Dracarized by the best dragon in the world, Vagar. Mm-hmm. Damon says, Rhaenyra says, look, she honors Lena's memory by doing that, but she has no love for us. And Damon goes, has the Viper's venom spread so far? So what he's questioning is, do you really think that she's like on board with the High Towers here, that it's spread all the way to Rainey's? Do you really think that? And Rhaenyra says, those vipers rule in my father's name. More discussion on Alicent and Otto ruling in King's Landing. Basically saying that, look, Viserys isn't ruling right now. It's Alicent and Otto. Rhaenyra then says, my father, and trails off. Um, she seems sad and resigned. So we're getting the impression that Viserys 
condition has worsened significantly during the time jump. And that she's aware of it, at least to some degree. Probably hasn't seen him in years, but she's at least received messages indicating that mm, he's gone downhill a bit. Rhaenyra says, what choice do I have? Damon touches her belly and says, to King's Landing then. So off they go. Cuts of Rhaenyra sailing into King's Landing. Great music playing in the background. It's some chorus and drum beats. I've questioned before if this is Rhaenyra's theme. It might be. I don't know. Um, We've heard it a few times. seem to play it a lot. seem to play it a lot around Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra gets the announcement. As she's getting out, they call her the heir to the Iron Throne. And Spencer, what a welcoming party. I mean, it's unbelievable the actual... I mean, you know, they are the, the high towers are some really, really kind people. They have such a wonderful entrance for Renera here. Well, I, mean, I, I, I do so adore the, the show's enjoyed playing this card a few times now, and it's amused me every time it's happened. But we previously saw it with Viserys shows up at Driftmark, and there's no one there to greet him, and we commented that, yeah, you know, that's a bit of a power play on the Sea Snakes part, probably overplaying his hand, but he's seeing what he, what he's getting. Meanwhile, Otto is really aggressively doing the same thing. Probably even doubling down more because it almost looks like he emptied out the Red Keep. They're climbing stairs later on and there's no one. No servants, no guards. He purposely is sending a message of, there is no one here for you. You are a foreigner of no particular standing in these lands. And he admits it later and we'll get to it, right? So who finally comes out? Lord Caswell. Lord Caswell. He said that he would be her man. Lord Caswell is a loyal black. I like him. Lord, very, Lord Caswell's the man. Very much so. He, he said that he would, you know, dedicate himself to her, and he has honored that word. Shout out Lord Caswell. In the halls, she says she can scarcely recognize things, and that's because a lot of the Targaryen sigils, emblems, de- decorations have been taken down, and we see a lot of the seven-pointed star everywhere. Now, the importance of this culturally is that the Targaryens are from Valeria. They're not from Westeros. They don't have the same religion as the Westerosi. So in their keep, because the Red Keep is the Targaryens. They mm-hmm. have traditionally modeled it after Valerian decorations and, and their pride of being Valerian. Yeah. And what Allison and Otto seem to be doing is making it more of a Westerosi-themed throne uh, throne room, uh, Red Keep. And that's actually kind of a big deal. Oh, it, it is. I mean, they, they didn't even t- take down Valerian imagery. They took down Targaryen heraldry. They've made it all about the seven-pointed star is everywhere. And as you said... Targaryens, particularly at this stage, have a very mixed relationship with the Faith. They kind of just mutually tolerate each other. So to see the Faith co-opting Targaryen imagery is a hell of a broadside into the basis of their not only, you know, legitimate separate authority, but also their exceptionalism that is the specific basis of the truce that they worked out with the Faith. The Faith is now plainly replacing and trumping their iconography. To what degree can the Faith now dictate what the Targaryens do and don't do? A thing the Targaryens themselves don't ever want to flirt with again. History time with Uncle Lee. Are you ready? I'm looking forward to it. Okay. The third Targaryen king was King Magor. <laughs> nice Magor guy. The, nice guy. They call him Magor the Cruel. Oh, um, mm, he no, took nice the, guy. He took the throne by force. He was the brother of the uh, King uh, Aenys, and he took the throne by force. It was not his. It should have gone to Aenys' child, but yeah, guess what? Magor took it. <laughs> and tell Magor... Magor Magor absolutely did not get along with the faith at all. Why? Because he married pretty much everybody he looked at. He had like a bajillion wives and no a bunch children. of kids. He did whatever. Yeah, he was he was obviously couldn't have children, but he had a bunch of wives and he did basically whatever he wanted. Lived in lust, lived in violence, and the faith hated that, but he was very violent against the faith himself. Well, Along comes King Jaehaerys, the good King Jaehaerys. He also takes the throne by force, by the way. Not a lot of people like to talk about that, but he did. 
when he took the throne, he wanted to marry his sister and the faith were completely against it. Guess what? He did it anyway. Now, the faith are ruled by the High Septon, right? Mm-hmm. The High Septon died. And when they were going to appoint a new Septon, High Septon, King Jaehaerys, fucking political mastermind that he was, flew his ass to Old Town mm-hmm. and interjected himself in the selection process. And guess what? They got somebody who was pretty good with Targary- Targaryen exceptionalism. And that's when they were able to develop a relationship with the faith and Targaryens. And the, the, the faith basically, basically codified this idea of Targaryen exceptionalism. If you, Spencer, are, let's say, I don't know, a Lannister, mm-hmm. you cannot marry your sister. Aww. You cannot. Targaryens, however, can. The faith built that in, that Targaryen exceptionalism. So it's a great point, Spencer, that there is a lot of history here about how... Um, about how the faith interact with the Targaryens, and there's a lot of tension because there's there's only one, one Targaryen king, shout out to him, who were able to bridge the gap with them. But it's a tedious sort of relationship, and so I, I just wanted maybe it's a rabbit hole, long rabbit hole, but I wanted to go down it to give everybody an idea when Rhaenyra sees all of the seven pointed star and everything. It's not just oh that's that kooky religion. It's oh that's those people who for a long time said I wasn't allowed to be a Targaryen to live Valerian and do exactly what I want to do right yeah it, it, just two points on that one just to show how Magor, how Magor was just utterly metal to reach that point of which Harris was able to bo- broker a truce it took years of Magor basically trying to kill all practitioners or priests of the faith of the seven in all of Westeros and he did a pretty damn good job of it in terms of just a straight up giant civil war across the entire realm uh, point number two with the all, all of the religious iconography on the walls, it reminded me of that old trope of where like a kid comes home from college and finds out that his parents have gotten born again again. Uh, ah, that's a good call. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it feels very much like that. If we're walking around with the, the faith of the seven around her neck at all times, all the new iconography on the walls, it's like she's walking out going, "What happened to my parents while I was gone?" Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, yeah, like they've been joined the like. The fundamentalist Mormons or something. Yeah. All of a sudden, there's like five wives here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that there's a lot. It's not you know it's not just harmless religious symbols to Rhaenyra. No, it sends a message. It's also yeah, and, pointedly, and, it, it's a it's a symbol of the, the high towers. The faith has for so long headquartered in Old Town. So the fact that they're putting their iconography up is even more also saying this is our room now. This is our exactly. castle. We are because bringing the, our yeah. legacy here. Old Town, which is where they selected the High Septon, where um, the the Maesters are, where all this shit happens, right? That's that's what the, the High Towers own. So it's a big deal, and also like you know, this is a period of peace, right? They don't really have external threats. It's not like Pentos is about to attack tomorrow. Mm. So I would think, from Rhaenyra's perspective, the Faith might be the the biggest threat, best chance, the biggest threat, the best chance for war that they would have. So you know, it's a big deal. Cuts the small council and Lord Beesbury. Hanging in there, Lord Beesbury. Shout out. It, credit oh. to be, the room mocked Beesbury a little bit for getting the minutia. This is the guy that controls the finances of the realm. This is our little finger in the complete non-little finger way, but also the master of coin. This guy apparently keeps so detailed of records that he knows the exact harbor master's receipts going into King's Landing in detail, and the exact price of what the statue of the Faith wants to erect concerning a festival of the Mother. Man, this guy is as a thorough accounting if it comes to the, all of the finances of Westeros. There's a reason he's had his job for like three kings or whatever, yeah, um, or two, I guess, but for a long time. But Lord, the cool thing about Lord Beesbury is like, like, I feel like Littlefinger was like, 
he was like the loan officer in 2007. He was like, you want a house? Take a house. I don't give a fuck. Like, he was willing to just borrow and borrow and borrow because he yeah, didn't care. It wasn't his money. Because chaos is a ladder, right? Beesberry, absolutely fiscal conservative. Shout out to my guy, Beesberry. Mm-hmm. She finally cuts him off. The queen finally cuts him off. By the way, queen sitting at the head of the table. Just want to point that out. Harold Westerling comes in. He's still alive. Not that's that's a very big change from the books. Harold Westerling dies pretty early in the books, but he's still alive here. I would not say this show is as bad as like say Vikings in terms of just inconsistent aging of characters. But there are notably a few characters in the show that do not appear to age whatsoever. Yeah, he was like sixty when Renera was like. Uh, 13 and now he's still 60 I don't apparently know. when you join the Kingsguard you just stop aging at that point and just you become elvish you become elvish when you join the Kingsguard you just stay <laughs> at the same age forever I I, I look I like the, the character fine but I, I think it would have made a little bit more sense to go ahead and switch Kingsguard um, captains because he's he, he should be dead by now I, I, so he I comes a, in I have a theory we will discuss at the end of the episode of what they're going to do oh interesting um, comes in he comes in and says that Renera is here this is where our guy Otto admits it. He says, I trust they were welcomed as befits their station, as I requested. Man purposefully emptied out everyone. You know, even the guy that changes the chamber pots, he got the day off just to send the right message to Rhaenyra and Damon arriving in King's Landing. And I, you, you, my question for you, was that, who was that directed more towards? Damon. I think so too. I, I, I think, think if it had been Renera, there would have been a small group of people there. But I think the fact she married Damon and is closely allied herself with Damon, he fucking hates Damon. We've all, we've also debated before that a lot of Otto's strategies are purposely designed to cause Damon to make a scene, to set Damon off, Good so point. it's a benefit of, bit of thing. So if this is indeed aimed at Damon, that seems a very purposeful gesture. Damon will take this personally, and Damon may act out and undermine their position further. I think that's a great point, and it it almost does, right? It does, clearly pisses him off. So they start to discuss the claim to Driftmark, and the maester, uh, the new maester who's there, Orwell. Uh, points out, Orwell, yeah, maester, Grand Maester Orwell points out that it was Lord Corliss's desire to have Luke precede him on the Driftwood throne. Tylan Lannister questions if he can command a fleet, and Beesberry points out that ability does not alter his claim. What the fuck are you talking about, Tylan Lannister? Yeah, Bees- Where I, did I, that come from? I mean, this again just shows what influence Otto has had when it comes to the small council of where who here is speaking for Rhaenyra really Orwell is just kind of just casually just mentioning what the circumstances are but he's not really committing Beastberry's going hard to represent her but the rest of the room is actively just 100% team green I don't think Beastberry doesn't strike me as a guy that you can just like lobby and he'll change his mind like he just, just he seems like sort of just like no that's the rule like yeah, that's the law what it is. the law why are yeah. we debating this in comes the new master of laws, Jasper Wilde, uh, off the top rope, who says the sea snake has never formally named him as heir. If it comes to that, the crown must decide what is best for the realm. So my question Bullshit. for you, Spencer, is I, I, I honestly don't know this. What 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 would have to happen to, quote, officially name him as heir? Like, what what's the process there? Do we know? Some written document that a meister notarized or something? I don't really know when it comes to this. It's obviously just plain bullshit. Everyone's, everyone is on the same page as who the sea snake intended here. He said so in public company that we even saw on the show. So this is trying to create a technicality to justify what they're about to do. The crown must decide what is best for the realm. Um... He is Lainor's son. What grounds uh, yeah. could there be? Yeah, Beesbury says he's he's trueborn son of Lainor. What what what's what, what what grounds could there be? And he says, "What indeed, Lord Beesbury? What indeed? You want to old... say it? Because I don't want to say it, but you can say it if you want to." 
They are all drinking the green Kool-Aid right now. Oh, for sure. Allison says they will hear Princess Rhaenyra's petition tomorrow along with the other claimants, which right then I was pissed. I gotta say, I've been trying to be a little less like pro-black because in some of our earlier podcasts, I got a lot of criticism for like being overly team black and I don't want to exclude people. So is George R. Martin. Come on. But this pissed me off. The idea that like she can get in line and like talk with the other claimants like this isn't a great council like what this is what the fuck this would be like spencer if your parents passed hope they don't let's say they did and i said i wanted your shit and somebody was like well we'll hear spencer along with lee i mean we'll hear the both of them tomorrow yeah i mean lee sent it his notice first so he'll go at 11 and spencer we have time we'll work you in at five can you be there just unbelievable before be four hours before and after we'll see if we can get you in yeah, this thing is baked, right? Obviously baked from the beginning of what they're doing here. And Allison walks out, and a member of the King's Guard approaches her. Question for you, Spitzer. Is this a joke? I think they're joking the, the, with the audience. This, this was a joke. This was very much a bit of a joke. They're, and George they're R. joking picking all the same damn names. Yes. They're, they're messy. They're joking about the names, and they're, it's an inside joke with the audience. Because what happens is he says, I, I watch this with subtitles, right? That's the only way you really get it, is... She says, whatever it is, Sir Eric, A-R-R-K, it'll need to wait. He says, I'm Eric, E-R-R-K, your grace. And she apologizes. (laughs) Thank you. We needed this. It needs to be said more often that, George, we know you're going for a certain element of realism that names would overlap. But God help us when we're having to read and speak this shit. I love that they, in a very serious episode, they threw in just a little inside joke with the fandom. One thing I want to say for the prior scene, I think we need to give credit for the Greens for, that line about, you know, Rhaenyra will be able to make her petition with the other claimants just shows how long this plan has been in motion. That this is intended to be a salvo. This is intended to undermine Rhaenyra's claim. This is effectively their, you know, gambit. So it's potentially win the game in the early stead. And that has been, that, that has been, nurtured diligently for years, apparently working heavily with Damon to make this happen. So, if I don't like it, but we have to give him credit for it, that based on the evidence and the events they have, this is a winning move that they set up that where Rhaenyra is completely on the back foot to confront. Yep. They, they, they have, they've, they've planned, they've strategized. He, uh, Eric, E-R-R-K, goes on to tell her that there's a matter that needs to be addressed. It's about the prince. There's been a delicate situation in his apartments. Did anyone have a thought that it might be Aemon? Because I was a thousand percent sure it was Aegon. I had no doubts whatsoever it was Aegon, and I thought one of the most telling things on this is that the Queen's originally very dismissive completely about, you know, I have things to do, I got things to do, and then Eric with an E, Eric, Eric, says that, and she, her face just immediately falls. She has done this before. She has had to manage this before, I'll say. She knows what delicate situation in his apartments mean. And unfortunately, I, uh, I like King Viserys, do not like to talk in metaphors. He is raping women Frequently. in his apartment. The, the, That's what I, he's doing. It, it he's is serving him. girls, whoever. He's raping people. And his mother is covering up for that. And covering up for that in two different ways. One is to... Um, basically just try to get the person, yeah, get the person not to talk and then also try to prevent any pregnancy from occurring. Yeah. It, 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 as we see in the next scene, which is a great scene, it's a power, it's, it's a, it's an important scene as much as it is hard to watch. She has a three pronged assault. First, well, multi pronged. First, sympathy, empathy. I understand. I believe you. Then pivoting hard to, 
But you know, but, in our paternalistic society, others might not. Others might blame you. And what would they do when they see you accusing and challenging the virtue of the heir to the realm? Which is just so evil. But it's there, and it works. Then follow that up with, but... You know, if you keep silent, you'll get some coin, you know, you'll get shoveled off someplace safe, and no one will accuse you of anything, where, you know, you could die. And then following that up with, and oh yeah, now that you've agreed, drink this, no questions asked. It, it's a hell of a thing she puts this poor servant girl who is barely struggling to keep it together to even recount what the hell just happened to her. I think this show wants you to know that she was raped by a lot of the things, but also... The, the trembling that she yeah. was doing and the crying, right? Because that, that's somebody who just underwent serious trauma, right? Um, great, great recap of that scene, but a little bit before that, Damon goes right into, oh, um, God. Damon we're, and Renera go into Viserys' room. Were you expecting Viserys to be this bad? No. A, I just didn't think they could pull it off. I legitimately didn't think that they had either the makeup or the CGI or what has to be body doubles for certain scenes. To make this as good as it was, I thought the this is the dragon budget. This is the dragon budget for the episode. Yeah, you don't right? get Ve- you don't get Vagar. You're not even going to get Vagar next episode because they spent the money on this, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, it's a lot of CGI they had to do, right? Um, but I mean, when it, they announced that he had leprosy, I undiagnosed. I, I, I did a little bit of research on like uh, Baldwin the Fourth and the Leper King mm-hmm. of Jerusalem and his reign and how they were able to have a king who had had leprosy actually reign. Like, how did that work? And there are a lot of similarities with what we see in this episode, more so in this episode than any of the others, because Baldwin got really bad. Baldwin got really bad really fast, which was actually pretty uncommon. He actually died like twenty two from leprosy. Normally, it would take a lot longer to manifest and kill you. I don't know why he just had a particularly bad case, but. Our guy Viserys, he has a slow-moving case, but he has gotten to that critical point now, right? So Viserys' room still has that big, awesome, cool bottle of Valeria, and actually, it seems like it. he's got cobwebs on it. But it seems like one of them he put like a little like something to make smoke in it because one of them's like smoking, which was kind of cool. But then there's cobwebs other places. I, I actually interpreted the inc- I interpreted that as incense that was covering up the smell. I, I picture that. I, I picture. Viserys is practically rotting, or is at least just so yeah. bedridden that he's probably not in the best state when it comes to the smell factor, and that they may just be lighting candles to try to cover it up. Very well could be. Uh, she walks near his bed, sad music plays, a uh, lot of minor keys going on with Viserys this episode, and we see what he looks like, and he does look like a completely different person. I, it was hard for me, at the first shot of him in the bed, to connect that to Patty Constantine. I don't know about you, but I, it was hard for me to see Patty Constantine there. Well, the the repeated refrain from my girlfriend the entire episode was, "Did they recast him? They had to have recast him. That can't be him. That no, that can't be him. Maybe they just CGI'd his face on somebody else's body. That can't be him." You get it when he starts talking. You can tell yeah, that's him, right? Definitely. Um, he's pale, and you can see his veins. He's extremely pale. Uh, she walks in, and he asks, "Who goes there?" He seems to have one eye, but he's closing. He's not opening his eye. And she says, "Renera and Damon." The king mutters, "Damon, Damon, Damon," over and over. Then asks to be helped up. He holds her hand and he opens his eyes and he says, it has been so long. And I don't know, like, look, man, if you've like, if you had a loved one or somebody you really care about who's like in hospice and you go in and talk to them, it kind of feels like this, like yeah. where they're like, they'll mutter things. They maybe kind of get it to you, but they, they do a lot of like a lot of hand holding. 
Like a lot of like wanting hugs, wanting comfort because they know they're going right. It's a really fucking tough thing, right? I, I've, and Renera is going through all those emotions. I've been once. It is a hell of a thing. I mean, it's not. It's certainly not great for the person that's actually in hospice, but for the family that is seeing in that state of worry, it is just a, almost a counting of days for when death will occur because that's why they're there. Dear Christ, is it a rending experience? Yeah, and it seems like he would be like in our modern day society, he'd be in hospice right now, right? This is essentially um, what he is. Yes, and he, he's he's but, basically on narcotics nonstop. That's what they're doing to get him through the day. But, but. Damon goes right into business. Yeah. He's like, brother, look at me. Like, mm-hmm. I got to get something through to you. I understand this is, he clearly gets that it's, Viserys is in a bad way, but he also understands that their only hope of making this work is to get it through Viserys' milk of the poppy addled head, what's going on, right? So he goes right into business. The sea snake has taken a wound in the Sepstones. The king's like, the Sepstones? We won that war years ago. So here's what that tells me. The king is not being updated about things. No. He was not even aware that there was a new war in the Stepstones. Because why? Because Alicent Nato didn't tell him. Damon updates him that the Triarchy is resurgent, the fighting is anew, there is a petition to decide upon the succession of Driftmark and the heir to the Driftwood throne. The king's confused. It's petition. Petition. Uh, they, petition. Uh, Alicent and Otto seed all that business down. Damon, no, brother, listen to me. I, I just love that. I, I, I can see how Rhaenyra feels like it's cruel. Mm-hmm. Like she's in the back cringing and trying to pull him away. But this was the right move. Like, it really was. And he sits and goes, no, brother, listen to me. You are to affirm your position for Lysarius to be Corliss Valerian's successor. And then he goes, something happened to Lord Corliss? So that tells you that he's kind of in and out, right? Because Damon's already said that. But I mean, in some ways, he's basically going through an opium haze right now. Because they find out later, the guy's on a hell of a lot of drugs right now to get him through the day. And that seems like that's more than a little bit intentional by Allison and Otto to also keep him not involved in terms of the present events. Let me get, let me say, say, say something. Viserys' face looks awful. Yes. Awful. His teeth are rotting. Half his face is literally rotting. You can see through his eye socket. It looks bad. But when she says, Father, I've got someone to show you. And she sits down and she says, this is Viserys. And he says, ah, oh, Viserys. Now that's a name for it fit for a king. And that smile hits his face. Yeah. Charm the fuck out of me. I but thought it was absolutely adorable. It was utterly charming. It's again, we talked about how all Viserys wants to be as a granddad. That's just what he wants. That's what he wants to spend his time with. It's always what seemed to make him most happy. But also what it effectively told the audience right there, because he's making a joke, is that this guy's in a lot of pain. He's having trouble seeing and functioning through it. But his mind is still there. His mind is still very capable and sharp. And if it can find a way to overcome, it can still accomplish a bit. And that's what Damon's picking up on, right? Mm -hmm. Because when he says, oh, Viserys, now that's a name fit for a king. That's a... That's a appropriate joke that shows he understands that Rhaenyra's here, that's his grandchild, and he's he's playing along, right? So great great call out, Spencer. That line specifically, I think, is where we get the indication that there's still something there with his mind, right? Mm-hmm. But he starts to get terrible pain because the kids start crying, he has headaches, he says, Oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He asks for his tea. I want mm-hmm. my tea. Giant air quotes. <laughs> Damon seems confused about what it is, but he gets it and he hands it to him. Viserys drinks it. Damon looks at it, smells it, examines it very closely. Um, he knows what it is, and Renera looks at him very concerning. Mm-hmm. Now, that scene that you talked about with Allison and the serving girl, um, I think you covered that really well. The only thing I would add to that scene is I really liked Olivia Cook is the actress who plays Allison. Doing very well with the role. Let's give her credit for that. We haven't commented on her, her before. <laughs> I think that her facial expressions 
make me like Allison more. Like I understand what she's doing here, and it's problem. It's super problematic, but th- she just seems to feel and is affected and cares about things that I didn't think Book Allison gave a fuck about. And it's just through her. It's not the not the words on the page. It's through her physical acting and facial expressions that give me a little tad bit more sympathy for Allison. What do you think? One of the I agree fully. One of the best things they've done with Allison as a character is to give in the idea that she's conflicted. To show that she is not just 100% behind and agrees with and doesn't second-guess the decisions that she makes. This is a character that is tortured with respect to the decisions she makes. The uncertainty, the indecision, the self-doubt, all wrapped up into it. And she's never lost them. From the first moment we saw her, she was tearing at her fingernails. And we still see that through her mannerisms through the present day of where this is a person that feels that she has to do something and it's killing her a bit to keep doing it. And that's directly played out in this scene. She knows what she's doing is wrong. She hates that she's doing it. She just thinks it's necessary and that she's compelled to do it. And that's a wonderfully humanizing aspect of the character that is not as directly apparent in the book. Do you think she's doing it out of love for her child or concern for their position? I, I don't think she gives. I think she's honest when she tells Aegon, "You're no son of mine." I don't think she. I don't gives think she gives a, a fuck about Avon. No, I don't. Th- I agree with you. I, I think it's all wrapped up in the duty part of it, and the, and what she thinks they have to do as rulers of the realm. I don't. I think if she was just living in Old Town, she'd send Aegon to the fucking wall or something. He'd be gone. Yeah, I think. I think it's Aegon is in some ways reflective of the fact that he's got two parents, neither of which give clearly give much of a shit about him. And that does not forgive what he does, but it does set a certain element of context of what he's operating in. Both of them say during this episode that they are not his parent. <laughs> yeah, it's like, my only child is Viserys says. <laughs> Both of them say that. Um, yeah, so at the end of all this, Alicent pours a tea and hands it to the girl to drink. There's been some confusion about this online. Um, or just not online, just the washers, right? People wondered what that was. So I interpreted it as this is moon tea. This is just to prevent a pregnancy. Other people thought it was a tea that was to kill the girl, right? That she was going to die. So I know you don't like when they do this because uh, you, the artist is dead for Spencer. I, I prefer the, them not to have to do this. I, well, that, you know what? That's abundantly fair. That the, the director did step in and say that was moon tea. That was not Allison killing the girl. They were paid her off, and they gave her moon tea to prevent an abortion, and off she goes. Well, That's basically what that was. They were not killing her. Which, I I understand why people might have thought differently, because there were several moments in that scene of where I was look, looking at I thought she was going to kill her, yeah. yeah. She mm-hmm. going to kill her? She going to personally kill her? That's a weird read for the character. They didn't go that route, and they did enough steps going into it, and we've seen the moon tea before, that I didn't have any doubts on what it was. But I can understand people, just from the vibes of the scene, particularly Allison saying things like, you know, Your Grace, I would never say anything. I know you won't. That in you a, di- a different show that would be, and you're dying before this scene leaves. But that is not how Alicent do, at least not at this stage of the game. I also think there's a little bit of like she's the queen, she's ruling for a absentee king, mm-hmm. and we don't like her, so we connect her to Cersei. And if Cersei had said that, Cersei would be killing her. So I think there's some of that. Cersei, she, did let's, to her let's get this right. Let's get this right, folks. Allison, much as I don't like her, fuck the Hightowers, hate the Hightowers, don't like the Hightowers, is not Cersei. Fundamentally not. She has similar issues with her children, but she is a fundamentally different person in a variety of ways. Book and show Cersei and Allison. Cut to Allison screaming at Aegon to get up. He's asleep in his bed. He's like, what? What? Something happened? She said, yeah, something's happened to the girl. Diana, Aegon, the serving girl, you sent fleeing from your company. Get the fuck up, Aegon. 
And he says, oh, it was just harmless fun. She didn't need to go get upset about it. Oh, oh, I mean, I, we're going to discuss this later when it comes this to book, book to show. But the show, I think at some point needs to give us something to find tolerable about this character. No, you're not going to get it. You <laughs> ain't going to get it. He, he's not Joffrey because we don't see that he is just willfully. He's not a psychopath. He, he, this is not a guy that tortures cats for fun. But he gives two shits about the people around him other than for his own amusement, and that's shit, too. So there are a few characters that are just straight up utterly despicable on the show. This is one of them, and this is the Green's heir. And that is, as you pointed out in our prior episode, that is a hell of a broadside in any argument they want to make for why it should be them. By the way, it was just harmless fun. She didn't need to go get upset about it was likely triggering for a lot of the audience, right? Yes, because that is the exact so. fucking the exact fucking thing entitled men say when they rape women. It's being said right now in college campuses all across this country unfortunately. Like that that is written so well. Like it's, I can almost like see the fucker what? in college who had like the super nice Brooks Brothers jacket on who was like, "Yeah, who yeah, she doesn't need to go get upset what? about it." Like you could just you could feel the schmarmy in him, right? And I actually wrote in my notes all caps, he is the worst, period. So that's what I was thinking. The, the scene involving his mom and the serving girl and this scene of which she's confronting her son and his comments feels very much like an allegory for me, too. It just in a, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways of it playing out. Aside of the medieval setting, but giving them perspective on just how it has always been this way and always played out this way. And I thought that, I thought that was on the nose, but rather effective. Allison says, think of the shame on your wife on me. How can you keep carrying on like this? Keep carrying on like this, Spencer. Yeah. How many times do you think, man? How many times do you think that she's played out this exact same song and dance? Ten, eight. I mean, uh, uh, you know, at some point. I mean, do you, th- do you think she gets a wholesale deal with the Grand Meister to make all this moon tea? Just <laughs> she, she's buying it. He's buying the Costco moon tea. Yeah, Kirkland like, brand. Like you know, we do see in the in the next song, which I finally watched. But I finally watched the next song. Good. I think, we'll we do see, I, think, I think we do see one of Aegon's bastards. So uh, just you know. I think they've already put it out there that we see one of Aegon's bastards. So is he. Allison says, think of the shame. Oh, sure. I said that. Uh, she smacks him across the face. She looks down at him. She says, you are no son of mine. We have heard that line before. Who else has said you are no son of mine, Spencer? Remind me. Actually, I'm blanking right now. Tywin Lannister. Yes. As, As his last dying. dying act. Yes. You are no son of mine. Yeah, I thought that was a... I think they were calling back a little bit. Aegon stands up and says, I did not ask for this. I've done everything you asked for. Then he starts to tear up. Like, yeah, poor fucking guy. He says, I try so hard, but it will never be enough for you or father. Here's the thing, Spencer. Um, I do have a little bit of sympathy for the fact that his dad does not love him the same way he loves his sister. And his mom is pretty absentee. I have not seen evidence that he's actually trying, though. Like, that's where it all falls apart. Nothing, yeah. Like, if I'm seeing that, if I see on screen that he's actually trying to do well, and then he's, you know, then maybe some sympathy. But he says, I try so hard, I don't see any evidence of that. Helena walks in and asks if she sees Diana, because Diana is supposed to dress the children. Allison walks up and hugs Helena. Spencer, what was the hug about? What was you, how'd you interpret the hug from Allison to Helena? Because it was do sort you, of like startling, because Helena just goes, hey, Diana needs to, to, to deal with the children, uh, I, and Allison just embraces her. I interpret it in one of two ways. One, Allison's having a shit day in terms of what she's having, what she feels that she's having to do right now and play out as wrong and everything else that's played out. It's still, she's not enjoying any of this. Point number two, 
She's also putting two and two together that she did this to her own daughter in terms of the fact that her daughter is married to this guy and has now had three children by him. Or two, maybe, at this stage. Two or three. So there's little column A, column B. I think it's three at this point. Uh, cuts to Rhaenyra talking to Damon. Uh, this is where uh, Damon's in the chair. She's standing up. And he says, she says, he looks like a different person. I believe we should also consult Maester Girardis. Perhaps he could speak to the king. So um, this is actually a, a reference from the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in the book, what happens is um, we don't know. Like, I think in the book, his decline is more to do with being overweight than having it's leprosy. Like, it's like and diabetes I think that was a, that, and gout. That was a change? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he slips and he falls on the chair, the Iron Throne, and he cuts two fingers really, really badly. And the yeah. rot sets in in his hand. Doesn't right? Deal. And Rhaenyra flies in because she hears about this. Brings her own maester, and her own maester is able to save the king by cutting off, by amputating his hands, doing some stuff. And I think this is kind of a shout out to that, right? Because she's looking at the, looking at him and saying, I think I should get my own maester in here. I think it's kind of a shout out to what happened in the books. Very much so, yeah. Good call. She, she says, it's been a long time since they had the pleasure, uh, the, well, sorry, Allison walks in and says, it's been a long time since we've had the pleasure. <clears throat> Renera says, indeed. But then Damon cuts through the bullshit and says they're not long enough to merit a greeting upon our arrival. So, like you talked about, <laughs> Took maybe Otto, Otto trying to bait him. Uh, he does know Damon because that did piss Damon off. First thing out of his mouth. Rear says she's sure the queen had pressing business. I'm sure. Oh, honey, I'm sure she had pressing business. Important things to deal with. We understand, don't we? Look at Rhaenyra, the, co- the conciliator. Look at her trying to establish some degree of detente between parties right now. She's, you know, you, you can dislike Renera if you want. You can think that we're too nice to Renera if you want. But you, I think it's really hard to say that she hasn't grown somewhat uh, because she she is more of the politician in the family. Right. And she mm-hmm. consistently in this entire fucking episode is the one trying to bring people together more than anybody else. And by the way, it's a change from the books. That's not necessarily how Princess Renera is in the books. But what I'm seeing on screen is somebody who's actually trying to bring everybody together. Very much so. It is a consistent theme that they portrayed with the character, particularly now that we've jumped to adult Rhaenyra. That is one of the hats that she's wearing, of where she's the one that's trying to work out some degree of diplomatic resolution to problems that are confronted in front of her, both her own and also one she sees in other parties. Now, I just said all that, but she does get snarky right here because she says... <laughs> it's earned. What, Dave, she says, Damon, what can either one of us know about ruling a kingdom, Allison? rejects that premise, says, I do not rule as you know. We're mere stewards of the kill, king's will and wisdom. Damon, right there in front of his brother, they're in the chambers with his brother. <laughs> right there. Right, the, right says, there behind him. Says, how exactly is that will expressed in blinks and wheezes? I'd be surprised if he could remember his own name. Or if you could. That Which, would hurt. <laughs> the or if you could was amazing because that, like that, that kind of got lost for me the first viewing. But that was a, like he was basically saying, you can't, you're, you're lying, uh, you're ruling because the king can't express his will to you. And then he just threw in, in the end, and oh, by the way, you're not doing a very good job being like a good wife, like basically. Yeah. Like, it, you're it, just a shit wife. Like, he just is, threw that in. Which is, we see later of how much uh, Allison appreciates when Rhaenyra compliments her skills and dedication as a wife. That one Damon knew was going to hurt Allison. He knew that that one in particular was going to gnaw. Yeah, and she does jump on that. She says, well, the king's condition is worsened. Damon scoffs and laughs at that. She goes on to say that he's in considerable pain and that on advice of the maesters, Renera, speaking for Lee, scoffs and says, all oh, the maesters, mm-hmm. fucking maesters. Lee, by the way, a different rabbit hole for a different All Song of Ice we'll and podcast. 
I don't trust the fucking Maester as far as I can throw him. So you, that's another you, thing. you are a big adherent into the Grand Meister conspiracy. That is one of the they, ones you hear too hard. Absolutely. They're the reasons there are no dragons. They poison the dragon eggs and fuck the Maesters. Um, she says, is it the Maesters <laughs> that keep them addled? <laughs> is it the Maesters that keep them addled on milk of the poppy while the high towers warm his throne? Allison sort of sounds pleading here. And she says, Renera, because she says the word, she says her name first, right? Mm-hmm. Renera, if you would see him without it, almost blind with suffering. Damon very astutely blows through that. He just goes, oh, yeah, Allison, I have no Pure mercy. Pure, yeah. Purest act of mercy. But tell me, for the king's suffering, did the Maesters also prescribe removal of Targaryen heraldry and installation in its stead of various statues and stars? <laughs> Again, we don't give David enough credit for being able to see weakness in his opponents, be it with a sword or dragon or also with a word. This is a hard one to rebut, given Allison's chosen line of defense so far. She just, only thing she can do is she gets all pious and just goes, well, it reminds us of a higher authority as we govern and it's important. Renera then says, okay, well, tomorrow, who's going to be sitting in judgment on my son's claim to his own inheritance? Allison says that would be me, but goes on to say that the father, the father is part of the seven. It's not her particular. One of the aspects. Not Otto, yes. She's not talking about Otto here. She's basically talking about God. Will help her forget the accusations hurled in this room today. Allison smiles and walks out. Renera just shakes her head. And my my notes say, well, Spencer, that went well. Yeah, this was a moment of where both sides were trying to engage in a certain element of both snark and also negotiation. And at the end, Allison just kind of shrugged and went, you've already lost. You I'm know that, right? I, my dad and I, we're ruling this roost, and we get to decide solo what happens to you and your family, and basically your claim to the throne tomorrow. So, get ready! Spencer, what do you think of Jaceri's Valerian? What do I think of Jaceri's Valerian, from what I've seen so yeah. far? Yeah. I mean, from what I've seen so far, he seems like he really wants to do a good job. He seems like he really views his position with responsibility views it is necessary for him to learn, to train, to prepare, to do it well, be it out of loyalty to the realm, loyal to his mom, not as a parent of that subject yet. He also seems like he cares about his family, from what we've seen too, in a way that is a very important issue. Particularly his younger brother, he's always keeping out for Luke, always trying to protect him, particularly several times in this episode. And those are points in his favor. He also seems like he immediately hits it off with Bela, and I'm down with that, so great for that too. Yeah, so I bring this up because Luke and Jace go to the training yard, and it seems to me that all of this, everything that's happening, is Jace trying to get Luke's mind off of what's going on and trying to just be a good brother and and ease his spirits. He's being over-the-top animated, and, hey, look at this, let's play, let's play, let's have a good time, let's block the the, world. Remember that? That's when when you picked up uh, uh, Sir Christian Cole's mace and knocked that part out of the wall. Wasn't that cool? Very good call. He's very much trying to immerse him in a new situation, new circumstances, so he's not thinking about tomorrow and what that could bring. And, of course, Luke just says, well, they're all staring at me, and they're staring at me because I don't look like Lenor Valerian. I look like Harwin Strong. And and it, Jace reiterates the point that Renera has driven home to them multiple times, which is what they think doesn't matter. And he goes on to continue trying to be jovial and fun with his brother. And I just think it's – I think he's just a good it's guy. Like it. Yeah, it really is. That's a great word for it. It really is endearing. Cause I, that's why I asked you, what did you think of him? Because I just left this episode thinking, I just think I like the guy. Like, I just think he's a good guy. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't see anything to be bad about him. I mean, what we see seems very positive. It seems like he wants to do well, wants to be a good member of his family, wants to earn his position in a way that we stand in pointed contrast with his 
we'll say equal and opposite rival, not really, but kind of, in the form of Aegon, who represents none of those virtues that we've seen at any stage of the game. So they go over and they see Aemon training. Now, here's the thing about Aemon. I don't know what happened in this nine-year time jump. He looks like fucking Sephiroth. He's an anime character on screen in terms of how much he's grown up. I guess he's been eating, like... Wheaties. Dinosaur, dinosaur placenta, or he's been having like <laughs> DNA Straight injections. Creatine. Uh, he's been going to Germany for those knee injections Toby used to get. Like, on, like he has grown. He's taller than the rest of them. He's bigger than the rest of them. He looks stronger than the rest of them. He, uh, he I don't want to fuck with Avid. He pointedly is, and this is, seems like it was very intentional both by both the writers and also probably the character as well. He looks like a young Damon. Yeah. He has the same He dresses hair. like him. He dresses the same, dresses, dresses the same, has the same profile. This, this is, this is both the writers meaning like, hey, hey, look, look at these two and the similarities between them. It also seemingly is, Eamon, Eamon in universe has styled himself to be the new Damon. Yeah. But he sees himself as the, look, the blacks have Damon. And somebody Dames has to stand me. up to him. It's going to be me, right? And so we see their training, and I think you said live fire, live rounds they're yeah, using, Spencer. Yeah, these, these do not look like blunted things they're using right now. Kristen Cole is just going ham with that morning star around the situation while Eamon is just dodging and weaving and ultimately defeating Kristen Cole in terms of a single melee, which so far, at least on the show, we've seen no one do that. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And Cole, with a throat, uh, uh, sorted his throat, says, well, you're going to be great in melees, man. You're going to be great in tourneys. And Eamon says, check this sentence out, Spencer. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit about tourneys. Nephews, have you come to train? I think that sentence is super interesting in how it's phrased. Because yes. it almost indicates he doesn't care about tourneys. He only cares about his nephews. He's almost saying, I don't give a shit about tourneys. Beat, I care about my nephews. That's who I'm training to fight. Ironically, for a guy with one eye, Eamon has always had a certain degree of farsight when it has come to this conflict and a certain, <laughs> element, of, and a certain element of the of the inevitability of it. And I'm perfectly willing to believe that he has spent the last nine years bulking up, training, whatever else, for what he sees as a even self-caused but inevitable war on the horizon. A Bryson DeChambeau breakfast is like 16 egg yolks and... <laughs> Half a slab of bacon and the whole thing, right? Uh, so just straight Jason, cow blood. Just you know, but something living. Eat it now. He doesn't look like the rest of those kids. Uh, so Jason Luke don't look super happy to be training mm-hmm. with this madman. But they call it open the gates and in saunters Vaymond Valerian, who does make a hell of House Valerian, who does make a hell of an interest. One thing to say again, again, Kristen Cole looks like the man has not aged in twenty years. Kingsguard, man, that is the trick to immortality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Eamon looks at him and smiles, um, looking at looking at the soul situation. Eamon is is grinning at it. I just I just love the Eamon character. I, I'm going so to point smart. out every little thing he does. It's he, it's awesome. He's well, fascinating. The, the actor does wonderfully with the role because almost more effectively than any of our new cast, the man can convey passages just looking at the camera, just a little smirk, a little nod, a little reaction. He doesn't have that much in the way of lines, but he conveys volumes. Feynman stares down Luke as he passes, which I think is kind of mean. He's like bullying a kid. Yeah. Um, and ominous music plays. Cut to Allison. She's in the small chamber. Otto is telling her to hang hang tough, hang strong. What they are doing is for the good of the realm. Uh, Allison says she's uneasy now that it's Seven approaching. Doubts. I I, yeah, and and that's the thing. Like, I think that from the if you you talking about the the book to show stuff, right? I think they have made both Rhaenyra and Alicent more sympathetic. 
I agree. Strongly, um, I it, agree. And this is a controversial issue in the fandom right now. Because they give Allison, they do, they certainly do it with Renera. I'm going to talk about that later. I actually have a passage from the book to prove that. But with Allison, they give her these little moments like this where she goes, I just don't think I feel good about it. Like that type of little interjection is nowhere to be found in the text. And mm-hmm. it just shows that she is less on board with this auto grand plan of like, taken over, taken the throne from Rhaenyra, run in the realm, the whole thing. She's clearly less on board with it, right? And she's, she's less on board with this first punch. And, and, and from my perspective, this isn't just a first punch. They view this as a haymaker. They view this as potentially, we land this hit, they're not getting up from the mat again. And with that, com- with that now reaching its crisis point, with her now realizing the implications of that and what could result from that... It's real now in a way that it probably wasn't previously when it was just her and her father talking strategy that may come into play years in the future. Allison says, well, he may yet live. That's another thing that nobody's talking yeah, about. Sea yeah, Snake, talked about sea that. Snake ain't dead. He's not dead yet. Yeah. Uh, we see that Vaiman is standing with her. So Vaiman actually got a, uh, I got a meeting with Allison and Otto upon entering the Red Keep, which is pretty strong. Uh, so, it's a pretty strong meeting it, to get. If the sea snake lives, he's gonna be like one of those situations where he comes home from the hospital and finds that his family's already moved out all of his furniture. Just like you know, oh, you, oh, you're here. Oh, sorry, yeah, we'll move I'm the here. things back. Yeah, yeah, better. Like, can you imagine him talking? Uh, Vayman sits down, and little moment, little moment. Allison seems a tad annoyed that Vayman just sat down without the, being told to the do presumption. so. Presumption. This is a guy she that is. She didn't like that. This is a guy who views himself as an equal, and Allison does not see them in the same light. No, Otto makes the case that they've enjoyed a long peace, but war could come for them any day. Do they really want a child at the head of the greatest fleet in Westeros? Sort of a silly point. Luke would have commanders. Hell, presumably Vayman would be one of his commanders. If he was a loyal uh, fucker, yes. Yeah, if Vayman was loyal. So like that that all falls apart in, in practice. But Allison says they must act in the interest of the subjects, of course, of course. And Vayman points out that whoever's the next ruler of Driftmark would be greatly in their debt. So almost like trying to like blackmail her in some way. Like, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, which like... You are already like the the Valerian fleet is the royal fleet. So yeah. like I'm not quite sure what point he's making there. Like we already have your fleet. I think in some ways this deal's already been negotiated. There's nothing left to arrange. He's here right. because this has all been worked other than out Allison's well in equivocating. But that's what he's basically trying to reassure with is that my lady, you know, you back me here, you have my full loyalty and all the support that I can muster. Seems like he, rather than it being necessarily like you know actually meaning something, it's platitudes to reassure. Cuts of Rainies in the Godswood, so the Three Eyed Crow can see this conversation. Just FYI, the mm. previous Three Eyed Crow, uh, the one before, the one we saw on the show, can see this conversation. And Reina, which is the granddaughter she is not currently keeping as ward, approaches her, and she seems super happy to see her. Kindness in her eyes, she lights up. Let me count the ways I was wrong about Rainies. One. She fucking loves her grandkids like a lot. Like, is she cool to the to the the strong kids to to Allison or to certainly Rhaenyra's not kids? as much that we've seen. No, she's not, and I still have sort of a problem with that. But like, she is a loving grandmother to these children. She's even keeping one as ward, like raising one. So shout mm-hmm. out to her for that, right? Um, then Renera follows. Renera, mm-hmm. Renera, you is know it... I'm Team Black. I won't put my hands on my on my hips and be like. Come on, princess. That's a very, very see-through move. This is Rhaenyra at her least subtle, and it's so transparent that, well, Rhaenys could have seen through this a mile away if it wasn't a half as transparent as Rhaenyra is being right now. And it yeah. it demonstrates how desperate that she is, and Rhaenys calls her out on it immediately. Yeah. 
she says, Bela told uh, Rainey's that uh, basically when Renera follows, she says, oh, Bela told us you would be here. She mentions that Rainey's has done a great job raising Bela, which I am sure is true. And Rainey mm-hmm. seems pleased by the compliment, genuinely pleased by the compliment. Um, Rainey's asks, or Renera asks to speak to Rainey's alone and Raina leaves. My God, the name's here. Renera <laughs> asks to speak to Rainey's alone and Raina leaves. Yeah, that, you heard that right. That Again, thank you, episode, for commenting on this earlier. Help us, please. Uh, note that Renera is wearing Valerian garb here. She actually just styles herself in Valerian garb, which is very different than every other Targaryen we've seen on screen. Um, it, who it kind of has more of like a upper class Westerosi dress, whereas she's just like wearing straight up Valerian stuff. I think this is marketing to a certain degree too. She wants to stand out. She wants to be unique. She wants to represent the Targaryen family because that's what, from her perspective, she's offering to the room right now in a way that no one else can. She goes on this monologue about how she wondered why Rainey's is there, but now she suspects Rainey's is going to advocate for herself. I think that's a reach. Nothing we have seen from Rainey's indicates that she's going to do that. Um, Renera goes on to tell Rainey's things she already knows, that this isn't a fair proceeding. It's a trap set by the queen in the hand to proclaim her son, Luke, illegitimate. Here it comes from Rainey's. Yet you did worse with that with Lainor, did you not? Let me count the ways in which I was wrong about Rainey's. Two, she jumps. She is honest with people. She's on, like, she's not, she doesn't hide shit and no she bullshit. lets you know where she stands. She jumps right out and says, we got unfinished business here because I think you killed my kid, right? And she's willing to say it in not in a mean, cruel way, just a, this is what I think, right? Um, she thinks, so, so this is obviously a tricky question for Renera, right? Because it, it is. she could, she could blow it all up and prove effectively that she didn't do this but she's not willing to do that why because she honors the commitment she made to Lenor that Lenor can have a free new life so it, she says i loved your son it, it's all sorry to interrupt you there I, you're fine this is an interesting scene because i've seen some people online say this is a result of just a poor adaptation they've written themselves into her corner because obviously she'd tell rainies here that Lenor is still alive and I understand that point of view, but I don't agree with it for both the reason that you just mentioned that probably she, you know, she and Lena reached a deal here and she's honoring what that deal and arrangement because of how much she cares for him. There's also an element too of if she just reveals that for nine years she's been straight up lying about this shit and arranged for her son to get shipped overseas, do we think that Rainey's is going to react great to that? No, and I think it would really hurt Rainey's because ultimately the conversation would have to get to Renera saying we did this because Lenor wanted to leave. Yes, he wanted, he wanted to, to be away you. from you. Yeah, and I don't think that's something Renera wants to tell Rainey's here, right? Um, so Rainey's scoffs and Renera says it again. I loved your son, and she says I did not order his death, nor were nor was I complicit in it. I swear that true. This, this swear, this swear, unlike the I swear Damon never touched me. This swear is true. Um, <laughs> same room too. Same room. She's telling these two swears. Three-eyed crow watching everything. Renera then says she'll make an offer. Back Luke's claim and let us betroth Lena's children to mine. Bela will be queen of the Seven Kingdoms by Jace's side, and her sons will be heirs to the throne. Reyna will reign in Driftmark. Isn't that great? Rainy says, "Oh, it's Jennifer's offer, or a desperate one." Renera, what does it matter? Who gives a fuck? If I offer you, if I offer you a thousand dollars. It's $1,000 regardless of if I'm desperate when I offer it or not. It's still the same deal. And yeah. Rainey's, Rainey's says, you're right in this at least. It does not matter. Let me count the ways in which I was wrong about Rainey's. She is very – she calls out what Renera's weakness, right? She says, yeah. you're, you're desperate here. But she doesn't put the – she doesn't twist the knife. Mm-hmm. She kind of almost in a very kind of 
nice way lifts Renera back up and goes, yep, you're right. It doesn't matter. You're right about that. And she gives her a smile and she's like, she, it's clear that it's clear that Rainey's thinks Renera has some problems that she needs to call out. She still has this lingering issue about Lenor, but she is not willing to be cruel to her here. Why? Because I don't think Rainey's is a cruel person. No, it's, it's, I very much agree with that interpretation. She's also just trying to get Renera's perspective to have a certain perspective on this is that, yeah, it's a generous offer, but it means committing myself a hundred percent to you. And I think you're going to lose tomorrow. I don't think you can win this from what I've seen. I'm going to be left to stand alone. And if I've tied myself to you, I'm going to sink with you. So I need you to get that right now. It's not yep. aggressive. It's not mean. It's in some ways the same way she's done previously before. She feels like she's almost kind. To, it, it, and it offers a certain perspective on the prior confrontation that we saw back when they were trying to negotiate the lane of marriage with Viserys is that she often sees like, you know, I need to help this girl see what I see. And she can be a little bit aggressive about that at times, but this in particular is almost resigned. It's just that, oh, come on, honey, we need we need to be on the same page here. Yeah, and, and, and I I mean, I was right that Rainey's is a kind of a prickly person, but she sure. is a good, good person because you're right. Uh, you, the great, great summary of that conversation. And she says, tomorrow, the high towers land their first blow. They force you to your knees and I must stand alone. I honestly believe that what she was saying is you're going to take an L tomorrow. I can't help you and help this whole situation if I go down with you. Mm-hmm. Like I, if I stand alone, if I'm separate from this, then I have a chance down the road potentially to help this situation in some way. And, I honestly think that's what she was saying. And particularly to help the children probably. You know, is that Yeah. It, when I say situation, I, I, yeah, I'm t- definitely talking about the kids. I'm not sure she's like willing to stick her neck out for Renera, but she does want to help the children. Yeah. Yeah. Good point there. Uh, cut to Renera at Viserys' bedside. Oh, what a scene this Powerful is. Powerful scene. I mean, again, credit, credit to the actor, I will say. Uh, they do wonderfully with this. Oh. Allison, he says, no, it's Renera, father. He says, Renera. And she says, the song of ice and fire, do you believe it to be true? And he's, he, he's clearly got his mind. He says, Aegon's dream. She said, you told me it was our duty to hold the realm united against a common foe. By naming me heir, you divided the realm. This is a very interesting admission here. It's something she would not say publicly because what she's saying here is it's very important. She's saying, dad, the path of least resistance would have had to be, would be Aegon as heir. Mm-hmm. You went the path less traveled. You went the path that was caused the most complications. Why did you do that when we have a bigger threat? Yeah. Like basically that's her question. It's like if we really need to hold the realm together to fight whatever the hell Aegon was dreaming about, why did you do this? Because yeah. it just severed us. It just broke us apart. This seems counterintuitive. I'm about to go into the meat grinder because you told me I was the heir and I needed this job. I need you to reassure me right now that it was worth it because I'm having doubts. It's and hard. Viserys, it's difficult. I don't know what to do with this. And Viserys says, I think all the explanation she needs, my, my only child. <laughs> I mean, it sucks when it comes to Allison's children, but his love that he has for Rhaenyra is just heartrending. So let's get this clear. I don't believe that Viserys hates Aegon and Aemon and Helena. I just don't think he cares and, that much. And the fourth child. I just think that the love of his life was Emma. And Renera is the only thing left of Emma that he has. And Renera will always be his favorite person in the world. Fuck Alice. Fuck everybody. In the whole world, because it's the only link he has to the true love of his life, which was Emma Aaron. That's a better way. And of that's why it. she's, like that, yeah. that's why she's his favorite. 
And that's why that's his explanation to her. He's like, you're in my mind, you're, you're the only one. You're the only one, Renera. So of course you were going to be my heir. You were always going to be my heir. But that's what I think the explanation is. It's just such a delightful moment. It's, I'm going to say weak, not weakness, vulnerability from Renera here of where she is strong. She's wanted to stand on her own. She's found ways to make her own alliances and build her own claim, whatever else. But in this moment, she doesn't know what to do. She's seeing a brick wall that she's going straight towards, and she's asking her dad for help. And she if, says, "If you, yep, yep, yeah. if you wish me to bear it, then defend me and my children." It, it, it very, it, it was very much of dad. I don't know what to do. Please help me. You're my dad. This is something I need as your daughter right now. And she's got tears in her eyes. The cinematography is great with the storms outside. It's a desperate moment for her because she doesn't know how to avoid this. And I think for the audience, some of the audience that is either ill with something uh, serious or older, I think this probably hit a little different. It was probably almost a scary thing. Like, because to put yourself in the position of Viserys, she hit his, his soul, the number one thing he loves in this world, Renera, is saying, Dad, I need your help. And he, he might not be in a position to provide it. Like he might be too far gone, right? And that's kind of a scary thought as a parent, I would think, that like, oh my God, I'll get to a point where I actually can't help my child. The the thing I love more than anything else in the world. It's kind of a scary idea. So uh, we cut to the next morning. If a series is getting treated, I am going to go through this recap, Spencer. I would like you to do me a favor if you would. Please. Would you jump in and tell me when you thought something was afoot? When you thought something was a little bit different with Viserys? When, uh, when it happened? Okay, please. Okay, so Viserys is getting treated, his wounds are getting treated, and he's getting fresh bandages. He says, I want to have supper, Otto. Ah, Otto. Ah, ah, right now, there already. Now? Just now? Okay. <laughs> Just from the get-go, it's like, aha. Because I, I, I love that Otto is so, yeah. caught so completely off guard, he doesn't see it for what a, just a giant warning sign that he is. It's like, it, it, it's morning, your grace. You know, it's not time for supper. It's like, and he basically tonight. gets no shit. <laughs> no shit. I'm talking about tonight. <laughs> that's when Otto should be scared because then his mind is clearing. He clearly didn't take milk of the poppy. So what does Otto do? He looks at him. He says, let's get us a milk of the poppy. Now, it, a lot if, of people in the fandom, a lot of people in the fandom think he is just trying to pump him full of that shit to remove a threat. I think some of that's true. I also do think though, there's an element of Otto looking at a man hurting and mm. just saying, let's just get him some. I do think there's part, it's maybe 30% of him, but I got to think some part of that is there, right? Because him and Allison are not just giving the king milk of the poppy so they can control things. They're doing it in part because of that. But I do think there's a worry about how much he's hurting. And I think we've seen that before of where Otto cares for the king. He cares for his family more. He cares for his ambition more. But particularly from, if he was speaking on it from his perspective, he cares for the king deeply and wants well for him. And this is a person that he has worked with for decades who is in abject pain. Now, for warning sides when it comes to his ambition, if he already didn't have enough of an idea that something could be afoot when it came to the king saying, I want you to plan a supper for me, in perfectly coherent, clear words, now when the king refuses the milk of the poppy, dear Christ, dude, be ready for what's coming because this is already this is, outside of your control. This is where Otto is caught slipping, and it's kind of surprising to me. Because I would suspect, I would suspect Otto would see that and go right to Allison and go, we need to do this quick. We need to do it somewhere far away. Let's go outside. Let's, we, we got, we got to get away from Viserys because he's planning something because he's, he's not taking his medicine this morning. I think it's overconfident. You talk about overconfidence defeating you. This is a guy that's not had to try to manage the king as an independent power player for now probably what? Four or five years, maybe longer? Who can yeah. even say? Mm -hmm. 
He's out. Of, he's not used to it anymore. He didn't think that Viserys was capable of it anymore. He doesn't think yeah. he needs to plan for this. And man, does that bite him here. Cut to Otto. He's in the throne room and he introduces the issue of this Driftmark succession. He says that he hope. They all hope. Of course, of course, Spencer, of course. We hope Lord Corliss survives his wounds. But, you know, let's go ahead and talk about it anyway. Kudos to Otto, by the way. Kudos to Otto, by the way. Man looks good on that throne. Just saying. It, it suits him well. Ooh, little green tendencies over there. Uh, <laughs> nah, he, he, I think that goes back to like how we've talked about how the actor is done with Otto. Like he just seems so fucking regal and authoritative. Like Very everything, much so. everything he says, I'm like, yes, sir. Exactly, what? sir. Whatever you want to say. What's even his posture too, of where he's not just slumped back in that slouch of villainy. He's erect, staring out, primed. Oh. He's in command of the room. Otto proclaims that he speaks for the king on this and all matters. Okay. It's clear. They introduce Vaman first. He goes right into a discussion of old Valeria. Not a surprise. It's parallel to his eulogy of Lena. He's talking about Valerian blood. How, you know, when the doom hit Valeria, only our two houses were left. We're the only people left of Valeria. <laughs> True, unimpeachable blood of House Valerian runs through my veins. How, how's Celtigar erasure? Where's my crabs at? Come on, there's other Valerian houses in the realm here. They, have they written them out? There, there is a third Valerian house in Westeros that we Celtigar, did not heard. Yeah, I, that we, I think they've written, I think so, because we've not heard anything about them. And they've talked a lot about how it's it's basically House Targaryen and House Valerian who, who came from Valerius. So I don't know. Maybe they have. Fair enough. They're not that big a deal. Oh, you talked about, um, apropos of nothing, but I'm throwing it in. You talked about how they have, uh, Allison had a fourth child. Yeah. You've talked about this on the non-spoiler part, right? Yeah, because it definitely doesn't seem like he's appearing anymore. Now, he could be in Old Town studying to be a Meister during this period. They could make that work, but they've not even referenced him, so I'm inclined to think he's written out. So say Martin, not written out. He's in Old Town. We'll, we'll see him later. Okay. Well, that's going to be interesting how they introduce him later, then, because they've they have not even mentioned him to date. Martin said they are not. They have not written him out. He's in Old Town, and they will they will get what they... We will meet that character later, so just there you okay, go. Okay, keep... Um, he, yeah, when, he's a good addition to the Greens. I like having him around. When the true, he says, this is Bayman. Back to the recap. Bayman says, the true unimpeachable blood of House Valerian runs through my veins. The Queen, I love the shots mm-hmm. because it goes right to Allison, and she seems uncomfortable with this strong language. She kind of like, her head kind of, oh, she's like, oh. This, this, this is going hard. <laughs> yeah, because that's all, that's all Bayman does. Bayman has, has the, my car is off and my car is going 90 miles an hour. And that's the only thing his car does. <laughs> He's got an electric utter acceleration. Unbelievable. Renera can't take it anymore and interrupts him. Says the same blood flows through my son's veins. The true offspring of Lenor Valeria. If you cared so much about your house's blood, Sir Vayman, you would not be so bold as to supplant its rightful heir. No, no, no. You speak only for yourself and your own ambition. Shout out to Renera here. She's not backing down. She has a spine at least, mm-hmm. right? Allison cuts her off yeah. and says, like, let, let, let Vayman finish. Can you let him finish, please? Mm-hmm. Do you have something there? No, no. You, I'm going to let you finish. Go on. Yeah, yeah. What do you know of House Then he said, Vayman turns directly to Renera, and there is contempt in his look at Renera. He hates Renera. He's just bleeding stupid. off of him. He says, what do you know of Valerian blood, princess? I could cut my veins and show it to you, and you still wouldn't recognize it. Uh, uh, He's doing everything but saying it. He is dancing around it right now. He says, this is about the future. It's around my house. It's nothing to do with your house. He says he plans a continuation of his house and his line. And above all else, that's what he cares about. And he ends by saying, basically, he wants to be Lord. He puts it right out there. I want to be Lord Driftmark and Lord of the Ties. Now it's Princess Rhaenyra's turn. 
she starts and she says, well, if I'm to grace this farce with some answer. Great start. So she's, she's hot, right? To begin with, right? Coming in hot. And then. We don't, we don't get to see her speech, but I wish we, I want to see the notes later because it looks like it was going to be good. But. Oh, oh, she was coming out hot. If I got to answer this farce, then the door opens. Is that King Viserys music? God, yes it is. And Raymond Waldy just writes up a storm when it comes to the music playing in this scene. King Viserys of House Targaryen, first of his name, king of the Andals and the Roy Darn, the first man, lord of the seven kingdoms, protector of the realm. I love that they end on protector of the realm as he's going down the stairs, that the music is pounding. that's what he's trying to do. Yes, it is. Yes. And God, three times watching this, I still teared up in this scene. It is so powerful. It is so well done. It is so earned. There's so many of these moments of where they just do triumphal music and you're just expected to cheer. This one, they have built up to this moment with this character. More than anything, we are realizing now that this entire first season has been a prologue of Viserys. Everything else is just, you know, we're seeing the various pieces get on the board to arrange for a game later. But the story has been Viserys' story, and we are seeing a climax happening so long down the game we never thought it would happen. As I referenced in our prior one, this is Viserys being tested, and he doesn't even know it. He talked about it, he wanted it before. He wanted that moment of when he would truly be tested as a king. Whether he could rise to the situation, rise to his duties, accomplish what he feels is necessary. And this is the moment where he can barely even stand. Where he spends four minutes walking across the room where a true king is here before us. And I am so here for it. Well, very well said. Everything you said. Make no mistake that what Viserys is doing in this moment is in my opinion, more heroic than anything else we've seen in this entire season. Why? Because it required more effort. He is putting forth more effort to do this than any character has put forward for any effort they have undertaken in the entire season. You know, maybe, maybe even like going back to like some of the stuff John did, like it is every bit of power and will he has in himself. He is doing this, right? He's effectively shortening his life by doing this. He's using the last of the energy in his bones because he feels he has to. He is rising to the occasion in a way that no one thought possible. He himself, I'm certain, didn't think possible. But there is a need and he will do it. So he makes his interest. The music hits, as you pointed out. Great music Perfect. And there's a look of concern from Allison and Otto. So I got two. Tell me if I'm just projecting here, but I got two different looks. From Otto, I got a uh, oof, oof look. From Allison, I got a uh, oh god, oh is he okay? That's there, what I got. There was an element of Otto purely looked just concerned that his plans were going awry. Allison looked properly shamed by the end of this walk. I mean, that, that's one of the effects we see in a lot of these characters of where. And this is part of Viserys' objective several times, is that he wants the realm to see him. He wants them to see what he is doing and what he is left of, but still having to do this while they squabble here in front of him. And this room of petulant children is shamed to silence as this proper king walks in the room. And Allison is very much affected by that. And that's a great point, because a lot, because that, that, Emotion surely did overtake Allison, right? Because in reality, what's happening here is he's having to put forward this effort because of what the High Towers are doing, and they're sub. They're, by the way, the High Towers are s- s- like um, it's the coup. They're basically engaged. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are um, subligating or whatever. They are. They are um, going against the king's will, subverting right? his will. And subverting. Yeah, they're sub- that's a great thing. They are subverting the king's will here in this move, and they are forcing this nearly dead, rotting man 
to have to walk to the throne to stop them. And yeah. yes, she is properly shamed by that. And, and as you said, there's a lot of motivations that are going this. This is for one, this is a true act of love towards Rhaenyra. And I, I, one of the things I noticed in my rewatches that I did not see in the first time was Rhaenyra's expression Ooh. as the king. The, the look the two of them share as he just looks over at her and she's just got eyes as wide as saucers that she's staring just with this abject, my dad is here kind of just love upon this right now. Yeah. It's just glorious. He but, passes. Yeah, he passes, looks at Rhaenyra, and that moment of love happens. Yep. And, and that is definitely happening. That is a key, that is a part of his motivation. He's also doing this for the realm because he's the king, and the, he's trying to, again, keep the realm together desperately. But as you noted, and it's wonderful you keep referencing this, and the show wants us to remember this, he's also doing this because he thinks he has to to protect the fate of humanity. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there is, a, there is a, certainly an element of my daughter asked me to do something. And if I am as bad a shape as I am in and everybody sees it. I mean, there's no hiding it. Mm -hmm. If I can possibly help my daughter, I will. And that's why he stopped and looked at her specifically. Like, and it was a look that I got, here's what I got from that. Look, I'm here, honey. I love you. I love you. And I got you. I got you. And she looked all, you know, like she looked in Emma, Emma almost acted it as, I'm going back to being a child again. Yes. Like I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking but, at my dad like a child would look at my dad. That's such a wonderful way to put it because this, look at this man, decrepit, barely able to walk. And yet she is looking at him like the same thought she had when she was a kid of my dad, the superhero. She's just yep. looking at him of what can't he accomplish? He will always be here to protect me. A thought she probably hasn't had since she was like five. And Viserys tells Otto, I will sit the throne today as he finishes this walk. Damn straight. You will, my king. He starts to struggle with the steps and the King's guard try to help him. And he says, no, I'll be fine. His crown drops and Damon picks it up. The King, without knowing who it is, says, I said, I'd be fine. He looks up, he sees Damon and he allows Damon to help him up the steps. And when he gets to the iron throne, he sits down. Damon puts the crown back on his head. Now here's the interesting part about this. The crown falling was an accident. I heard the, that film. unscripted. The crown just fell, right? And Matt Smith ever, like Patty Constantine rolled with it. He didn't, he didn't break character. And Matt Smith rolled with it. He just picked it up and just put it on his head. And they did multiple takes. They took that take. And I'm glad they did. And it's almost like it's, it's like serendipitous, right? Because that's better. That's better that the crown fell and that Damon put it back on his head. Because think about, you know, the, the multiple times Damon offered his crown to the king. And we had that conversation with Viserys and Damon where, Viserys tells Damon, it's not my daughter you lust for, it's my crown. And this is Damon showing you, no, that, that, that's really Wait, not true, dog. I, I got you. Here's your crown. I love your daughter. I've mocked George Lucas before for his line about, you know, it's poetry. It rhymes in terms of describing aspects of the prequels. This scene is that kind of poetry. It is just so perfectly linking back and rhyming with so many other prior scenes we've had before between characters and serving as a final culmination of aspects of their relationship, particularly Viserys and Damon here right now. There's so many parallels to what we saw before of where Damon, you know, handed his own crown to his brother as an act of loyalty, but things then went awry. And here now, when his brother, no one else comes to his brother's aid. His brother's purposely trying to march this alone to prove to the room he still can. Prove that the room he still wards the mantle of king. And his crown falls, but it's Damon that helps him to the throne and places it back on his head. The symbolism there is just glorious. It is wonderful. And it is perfectly played by these actors. And I, I'm right with you. If it truly was unscripted originally for that to happen... The wonderful serendipity of the world that those events lined up to give this this scene because it is so perfect for the characters to have this last moment with each other. 
Yeah, and it, you know, it's obvi- it was obviously written that Damon would go up, and the king would say, "I don't need help," and see it's Damon and allow Damon to help him. Right. Yes. So that was obviously written. So the crown lucky. falling. I think you know, and but they get credit too, right? Because they took that take. They decided yeah, they that was saw better, it, right, and they went with it. Cause that's, that, that, yeah. that, that's the that's the wonderful that's the wonderful thing you'd accomplish multiple takes that you can discover those little bits of chaos that you can then run with. He gets situated. He looks up and he says, "I must admit my confusion." I do not understand why petitions are being heard on a settled succession. And when that line gets out of his mouth, Allison's fa- Allison's whole head, oh. dro- she literally drops her head and goes, it's uh, basically, it's over. It's yeah. over, right? I, we, it's all over. I love the snark that is still in Viserys. Man's in abject pain. He just walked across this room suffering every step of the way. And he has still got sarcasm for days when it comes to the fact that he's sitting in this chair right now dealing with this bullshit. The only one present who might offer keener insight into Lord Corliss's wish is the Princess Rainey's. By the way, didn't seem like the High Towers were going to ask Princess Rainey's anything. Nope. And let let me count the ways in which I was wrong about Princess Rainey's. She beams. She's rightfully pleased that someone asked her about her own fucking husband's will, which is should be the first question. Shout out to Viserys. And she stands up and she delivers a very interesting interesting monologue here spencer did you expect princess rainey's to go quite as hard on this as she did this in my mind i don't know exactly what rainey's had planned for the situation i know she had a plan though i if anybody oh, any character walked into this room with a plan rainey's had a plan but you're not gonna catch her slipping uh-uh. it, i i think this is rainey's really reading the room reading how the tides are so thoroughly shifting another direction and getting in a position to ride that wave because she's like, oh, they're moving hard when it goes for black right now? Okay. You know, I wanted to be black. I'm going to go hard black and make it so they win this through no small part how strong I'm going to go in their camp right now. She says, indeed, your grace. And there's a look between her and Vayman. Now, I think Fuck. a couple things are going on. This is the, yeah. This yeah. Is I think that's Vayman looking at her going, man, I really shouldn't have said the thing about I would like your support, but I do not need it. <laughs> I also, though, think that with Rainey's, I let me count the ways in which I'm wrong about Rainey's. I believe that Rainey's is a very compassionate person, and I think she knows I'm that she's about, to condi- she's about to condemn Vayman to death here. She knows that this is what's going to what? kill him, because when she says this, there is no argument to be made left. And that's what Vayman just flies off the handle because he's done. And I think that's part of the reason that she's the only one that's sitting vigil later over his corpse. I think. There yes, some... I was going to connect those two things. Yes, absolutely. Both an element I of his family and that's the appropriate but thing I to killed do him. keep him decorum, but also an element of my words at that moment led to his death. And almost in some ways led to him to commit suicide, as we're going to see here in a second. And also love for her husband. Yeah, we'll talk about that when yeah. we get there. So she she seems beaming and, and she says, she goes on to explain. So was wonderfully Corliss's... composed. She is so oh. regal in this moment right now. Yeah, queen that never was. She explains that Corliss's wishes were for Lucerys to inherit Driftmark. She calls Lucerys a true-born son and says her support of... It's interesting how she worded this. She says, Corliss's will was for Lucerys to inherit Driftmark, a true-born son of Lanor Valeria. 100% true. And my my support of Corliss has never wavered. Also true. Also true. (laughs) That was such a Spencer move. That's a lawyer. I I was looking it up. I was like, how is she going to phrase? Because she's not a liar. She is pointedly not a liar. And she does not support Lucerius as the the heir to Driftmark. But she says, my support of Corliss has never wavered. And that is 100% truth. And she can offer it and sing it to the rafters. And the room eats it up. 
and and she did then does something where I think a lot of fans thought that this was like Renera would be like oh f- like oh fuck like she's kind of calling my bluff type of deal, but no Renera regardless of the this situation she play. loves she loves the idea of these kids being engaged to each other this is not a problem for her at all this does not catch Renera on her back foot this does not surprise Renera maybe it surprises her a little bit but she's not upset about this at all I. I Tell you that, and, and as, as a big fan of the twins in the books, I'm not. I'm not at all upset with this either. I think they're a one. I think it's, it's wonderful to join the, the two of them into your family. Yeah, he tells the the yeah. So basically, she says, "Well, Brunera um, has recently indicated her wish to marry her sons to Lena's daughters, and I love the idea." And the king says, "Well, matter is settled again." I, I love the again. <laughs> I love the again. It's just the start. This man is still summoning right now. The matter is settled. Again, I hereby reaffirm Prince Lucerius of House Valeria and his heir to Driftmark, the Driftwood Throne, and the next Lord of the Tides. And Aegon smirks and starts laughing. Yeah. He, Aegon doesn't Two shits. Two shits. No, he just, he thinks it's hilarious that his, his side just failed. Like he's laughing at his mother. Like, haha, yeah, you fucked up, didn't you? Unbelievable. Now, is when it turns. Vaemon is angry and he finally slips into the point of no return territory. Yes. And he tells the king that he, the king, broke the law and centuries of tradition by installing his daughter as heir. Yet you tell me who deserves to inherit the name Valeria. No, I will not allow it. Damon is watching and smiling. They cut to Damon and he is smiling at this because he knows I'm about to get rid of somebody I've never liked. And the king says, allow it. Do not forget yourself, Vaemon. He turns and points to Lacerys. Feynman does. He says, that, very, very dramatic, that is no no true Valerian and certainly no nephew of mine. Renera seems like she's almost trying to save his life here because she says, go to your chambers. You've said enough. Renera very much. This is a point of contrast between Renera and Damon in the scene of where the two of them have very different objectives when it comes to what is about to play out with Feynman, where I very much agree. Renera and Rhaenys, to a certain degree, don't want Vaemon to die for this. They don't want there to be violence. They want this to just be done and over with, and then they can decide what to do with the pieces later. I don't da- think they want to kill him. Yeah. Da- Damon, on the other hand, did he yeah. walk into this room one and Vaemon did <clears throat> die by his hand? Was that always a He's goal? never liked Vaemon. Remember, no. Vaemon tried to get the back into War of the Stepstones 10 years ago, or 19 years ago now, tried to get them into mutiny against Damon, who, by the way, Damon was the only one fighting the war at the time, which is which Leonor called out. Like, they have never gotten along, right? And so Viserys says, Lucerys is my true-born grandson, and you are no more than the second son of Driftmark. And oh. finally, he says, you may run your house as you see fit, but you will not decide the future of mine. My house survived the doom and a thousand tribulations besides, and gods be damned, I will not see it end on account of this. Say it. Oh, I love to say it. I like see- Say it. I love that Matt, Matt Smith has done wonderfully with this role, but I love the look on his face and the tone as he's doing this because he wants it. He wants him to say it. He wants this to get to, get, to reach its violent culmination right now. He's chomping at the bit for it to a certain degree. Because as you said, he's never liked this guy anyway. But also to a certain degree, Damon does enjoy a bit of violence. Damon smiles. Otto and Allison are thoroughly disturbed watching this. They are like retreating, like yeah. they're hunched oh, over and like we're, pulling we're back. Never was our plan. We're sorry. We never liked this guy. We don't even know who he is. What's yep. his name? Um, and Vayman says her children are bastards. And she is a whore. Now, question, question. No way this guy thought he was walking out of this room alive. Does 
Is he just that pissed off that he's not thinking about it? Or does he assume that he went so hard on this plan that there's no way he's ultimately going to survive this anyway? And so he's just like, I'm going to piss in their ear one last time. Which one do you think? I think he just lost his temper. I don't think there's Perfectly possible here. I don't think, I think when sometimes people like me, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen this from you. I don't have this particular condition, but there are people who lose their temper and just see red Mm -hmm. and they really don't think about There's no thought. It's just all like, you know, uh, mid brain, like just reptilian action. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. And if that is indeed the case, we, then a way of interpreting what Damon said was to purposefully cause that he's baiting him. He's not just, yeah. He's purposely oh, yeah. trying to just set him off with a smile on his face. Viserys stands up, grabs his knife, and says, I will have your tongue for that. He even grabs his knife. He's ready I, to do himself. I, I think that man would have been charging down the throne. Not fast, but he would have been charging down the throne here in a second. And then we see Vayman's head get chopped clean in half, and it's it chopped right at the place of the tongue and actually cuts his tongue in half as he as he goes across his face. And we see Damon in the back. He's got Dark Sister, and he says, he can keep his tongue. As the Otto yells, d- dangling on the ground as the now Pez dispensered head. Otto yells, disarm him, and Damon says, "No need, no need." He cleans his sword Twink. to put it back in the scabbard. Twink. Always clean your scabbard, fo- so- your sword, folks. They- so many shows don't do that. They just have people just shove a dirty blade into the scabbard. Horrible idea. Well done, Dick. Notice how clean, how unnaturally clean that cut was. It's lightsaberly effortless that it goes through this guy's head. So that's Valerian steel, right? And a lot of people have been always confused about why we make such a big deal about Valerian steel. Valerian steel is forged in, is forged in magic by the, 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 the magic wards and wards of Valeria in the same way that they created dragons, right? Dragons are magical creatures, right? They're not of this world. They were created by, other than maybe the cannibal, we'll debate that. They were created by the mages in, in Valeria, well, this this type of sword was too. So it is an absolutely an unnatural sword, and that's why the cut just looks like so crazy. Like no sword that we even have, like in in our world right now, would cut it like that. Like that, no, super the, clean. Like it's, the, it's strange. We're, we're, we're talking a mix between an acetylene torch and a diamond tip blade in terms of how much this thing is just sharp upon all sharp in a way it doesn't even need to be sharpened in terms of what it can do. And so it's a re- yeah, yeah. So it, this is. This is what Dark Sister was meant to, and this in some ways is what Damon was meant for, and it plays out exactly as he wishes. That's exactly where I was going with it. I was going to say, like, basically, like, that's why him having Dark Sister is such a big deal, because it is an unnaturally, like, effective sword. It's also a point of contrast we saw previously back in the old Game of Thrones is um, Ned versus Theon beheading people. It's both, it's meant to be symbolic, too, that Theon's just that that much of a fuck-up that he can't successfully behead um, Sir Roger Cassell. But it's also a... Theon's using a regular sword. Ned's using ice, which is Valerian steel. Yeah, and it cuts super clean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the king falls back into his chair, moaning. Allison comes up, He's picks him up. Day. She says, "She says you got to take something for the pain. And he says, no, potential line of the episode. I will not cloud my mind. I must put things right. I can. My, this, is, this, is, this is the kind of romantic that I am, but to see somebody that is just so duty-bound, so desperate to fix things and make them right and do whatever is necessary to accomplish what they view as their obligations to their family and the world, this is what makes me emotional. So now I'm going to read a passage from Fire and Blood. Why? Because I want to explain the difference in show Renera and book Renera to people. Mm-hmm. I like both Reneras, just for the record. They are distinct. But, they are, but they are softening... Renera, or they are creating a character that is more soft, um, more, um, 
somebody that you can be sympathetic toward than the book. So here's how this all goes down in the book. Uh, Fire and Blood has a way of getting right to the point. So this it's happens his, very fast. It's history. That same year, across Blackwater Bay, the sea snake was stricken by a sudden fever. As he took to his bed, surrounded by maesters, the issue arose as to who would succeed him as Lord of the Tides and Master of Driftmark, should the sickness claim him. With both his true-born children dead, by law, his lands and titles should pass to his greldest and son, eldest grandson, Jaceres. But since Jace would presumably ascend the Iron Throne after his mother, Princess Renera urged her good father to name instead her second son, Lucerys. Lord Corliss also had half a dozen nephews, however, and the eldest of them, Sir Vaymon Valerian, protested that the inheritance by right should pass to him, on the grounds that Renera's sons were bastards sired by Harwin Strong. The princess was not slow in answering this charge. She dispatched Prince Naaman to see Sir Vaymon, had his head removed, and fed his carcass to her dragon, Cyrax. End fiend done. So contrast that, right? Because in the show, it seems it seems like Rhaenyra is almost trying to save Vaymon's life right up to the end, trying to tell him, get out of here. This isn't going to end well for you. You should go back. In the book, she catches wind. He's not even there. She catches wind that he's saying this. And she tells Damon, go take his head, bring his body back to me. I'm going to feed it to my Wait, dragon. You know, so there's a certain measure of the fan base that looks at this, oh, look at Rhaenyra's cruel action disregard. When I read that, I was like, yeah, what do you expect yeah. her to do? Yeah. It's like, this is a guy that's talking treason who's actually trying to undermine her base. Not the only one doing it either. And his brothers also get their own little uh, just desserts too. So I was very just like, sure, that that is how one resolves that situation when someone speaks treason in that particular manner. And not even is trying to hide it in speaking treason either. So now I'll read the very next paragraph. It's shorter. And this, I think, tells you a lot about the difference between book Viserys and show Viserys. Yeah. Even this did not end the matter, however. Sir Vaymon's younger cousins fled to King's Landing with his wife and sons, there to cry for justice and place their claim before the king and queen. King Viserys had grown extremely fat and red of face. So you can just interpret that as like, he's just sick, right? Yeah. And scarce had the strength to mount the steps to the Iron Throne. His grace heard them out in a stony silence, then ordered their tongues removed, every one, you were warned, he declared, as they were being dragged away. I will hear no more of these lies. And they, so they were hereafter known as the Silent Five. If you're playing the home game, in terms of the various yeah. nephews of Corlys Valerian. So I think those two, two passages are really important to draw the distinction between what we what we know in the books from, of Renera, which is that she's someone who um, will go. She'll just she'll kick execute. the dog. She will execute right. And Book Viserys, who was very willing to start taking, after he proclaimed, I'll take tongues, he started taking tongues. And I don't think that Show Viserys is quite as willing to take tongues, right? I think he was going to take, uh, Vayman's tongue. I don't think he was upset that Damon killed him. I think, I think that that's where they were going with this, right? Um, but I do think it's a very big difference in how he's, he's dealing with people who say this thing about Renera. And uh, again, a, a testament to the adaptation that this show is, those two paragraphs that you read, that was all of the text behind this episode. That was basically the entire episode was what they were working from when it came to those paragraphs. And man, did they find a way to adapt that into one hell of an hour and 20 something minutes of television. That's why when Martin says it's going to be four seasons, I'm like, well, yeah, I guess it could be four seasons because they could just create new character. They basically created a new character in Viserys and gave us multiple episodes about it, right? So they could do that again. Mm -hmm. um, cut to the Silent Sisters preparing Vaymon's body and Rainey's is standing watch. This is something we referenced before. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Uh, a maester, the maester Orwin, Orwell comes up to him, right? Orwin um, comes up to her mm -hmm. and says the body will be returned for its 
uh, will be ready for its return to Driftmark tomorrow, my lady. You may wish to leave the silent sisters to their work. It is ill look, ill luck to look upon the face of death. Spencer, potential line of the episode from Queen who never was. Holy fuck, this is a great line. The stranger has visited me more times than I can count, Grandmaster. I assure you, he cares little, little whether my eyes are open or closed. Now, that's a wonderful line. Potential line of the episode. Potential line of the episode. Let me count the ways in which I was wrong about Rainey's. Spencer, why do you think she stands watch over Feynman's body? We, we, we unpacked a few earlier, and I think all of them have a certain measure of truth, of where, A, she is the only family member there, and it's something that she does, again, out of loyalty to her to her husband. Because though yes. her husband had a very tense relationship with his brother, he would have wanted to be there if he could be there. Um, so she is standing in that regard. There's also an element of responsibility, I think, attached to it as well. Not just family obligation or whatever else, but an element of she looked him in the eye and she signed his death warrant, or at least set up the events that would result in his death. And I think there's a certain yep. measure of both guilt and respect there of... Oh, what's the old Winston Churchill quote? That if you have to kill someone, it costs you nothing to be polite? She feels a certain degree mm-hmm. of duty here attached with this death. And she probably... I mean, I think Veyman lived on Driftmark, and he was in the castle all the time. She probably knew him very, very well. Sure. Um, and, yeah, I think everything he said was right, that she felt some responsibility both for the fact that he died, but also responsibility on behalf of her husband uh, to represent the Valerian family there and stand watch over his body. So mm-hmm. uh, that's why Rainey's, by the way, is not at this dinner, because otherwise she would be at the dinner because she is family. I wanted to hear her toast. Man, I would have looked forward to hearing what her toast would have been at that wedding and how much she just would have not tolerated those little shits of Allison's children. Yeah, it would be the second best toast because uh, we got a We got a number we, one we, with a bullet. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Cut to dinner and Viserys is brought in on a chair. So that whole mess of him walking, that was a one-time thing, folks. That was for effect. That was to, to be able to work rule on that room. specific thing. But he doesn't normally walk. That's why they were so shocked to see it. Um, he, We see a shot of Aemon as he sits down and he's grinning. And we see Lucerys move closer to Rhea. So one of the things I really like is that, like, this whole thing of Lucerys and Rhea and, um, Rhea and mm-hmm. Gisseris and Bela. Mm-hmm. Getting married was sort of announced, and it's kind of surprise. You could see a surprise. They're playing the catch up, but they love it. Yeah. They were they're into it. They're like sitting closer to each other. They're nuzzling, nuggling, like uh, snuggling up to each other. They clearly like each other. Like, and there was a shot to Bela and Rhea in the back when when it got announced, and they were grinning ear to ear. It's hilarious that like all, all the little things they do to show you that like, yeah, they're cool with it. But particularly Bela and Jace, they seem like they're already married. They're they're, they're practically <laughs> snuggling against each other and just you know making little cooing talk with each other. It's like, okay, man, let's sign this tomorrow. They're already they're already down for it. Yeah. Ooh. Can you remind me of of uh, Jason Bela in the um, book only section? I got a thing I want to talk about with him. Yep. Um, so the king says, "How good it is to see you all tonight together." Allison prays before she has to pray the seven beforehand, and Man. during it, she says she prays for Vaman Valerian, and Damon <laughs> doesn't. First off, first off, Damon doesn't close his eyes during the prayer, and second off, he roll visibly rolls his eyes when she says the thing about Vaman because, like, I what think the he, fuck? like he deserves it. Does he audibly chuckle, too? Like, he can't even just keep it in when it comes to just like, oh, dear Christ, are we actually doing that? Okay, well, let's just, uh, we should have addressed it before. Can you just please address the fandom who says that Damon acted somehow unlawfully by killing Vaman, that he went against the king's wishes because the king hadn't specifically prescribed death at that point? Okay, again, this is a guy that 
viewed his duty as being the commander of the king's guard to dispense punishment in enforcement of the king's law. That was his job. That's how he viewed his job. That cutting off limbs, cutting off heads, whatever else. Cutting off. Cutting. Mm. Yes. Cutting off mm. heads, specifically, with Dark Sister even, Woo. was an aspect of enforcing the law. And the king agreed with him on it at the time that it was an important aspect of, you know, leading the realm to have a certain element of respectful fear when it came to King's Landing and the King's Guard. Said, don't do it again without my leave. But there it was. Damon's perspective is. This guy has violated the king's law. This guy has committed treason. This guy is directly flying in the face of the king's directive and is insulting the king and his heir to their faces. I'm just eliminating the need for paperwork. And by the way, they're my family, and that's my wife. Yeah, I, I, we, we've had a, we've had a few friends say that oh, the king would have just cut out his tongue. It's like I don't know, nah, maybe. Maybe, no, but I'm I don't believe that. I'm not inclined to think so here. I mean, the example that you, you reiterated where he cut out the tongues of the various family members, they went nowhere near this far when it came to these circumstances. This guy is, there's a line here and he is skipping on, skipping on each side of it delightfully right now. I think when he said the word bastard and whore is when he signed his death warrant. Anything before that, I think he could have got away with maybe his tongue removed, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think he was going to live. King was given a lot of outs, but then he just gleefully crossed the line. The king says it's cause for celebration, which got a laugh out of me because I'm looking around this room. I'm like, celebration? What the fuck are you talking about? He says, Jason Luke will marry Bela and Rhea, further strengthening the bond between our houses, between Valeria House and, and Targaryen House. A toast to the young princesses and their betrothed. And then we start to get the toast, Spencer. Good God. I thought I had thought that this actor had already earned his Emmy. I didn't think that he needed to do more. But this show is not done with us yet. We still get some of the most emotional moments we've ever had in Game of Thrones before we finish out this chapter. Yeah, this is this is absolutely wonderful. And from my perspective, we hear Aegon. He's needling Jace. He goes, well, Jace, uh, yeah, yeah good, well done. You finally get to lay with a woman, right? Uh, finally get to have sex with a woman, right? Uh, 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 uh. Like he's doing that thing. Yeah. Bela, Bela hears it, isn't happy about it. She doesn't, she's kind of like, she takes takes after Rainey's a little bit. She's just like, hey, cousin, cut that shit, would you? Just yeah. stop it. Uh, King also says they should toast Lucerys, the future Lord of the Tides. Um, Rhea tells him, you're going to be great. You're going to be great. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to do well. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so well, nice. that, that was cool. Aegon needles him again, asking, hey, look, hey, just a quick question. Uh, you know how to do it, right? Like like where to put the penis and everything? Like, you, know, like, you know how to do it, right? I can teach you. I can, I can show you how to do it. <clears throat> you're going to drop your pants just now? I mean, what are we doing? Constantly just trying to piss Jace off, right? Yeah. Doing everything he can. Um, Jace tells him, look, play the gesture all you wish, but could you just hold your tongue in front of Bela? And here's the impression I got is that like, Bela's fine. <laughs> she, she's okay. Uh, I mean, I get why you want like, you know, to like be like somehow protective of her in some way, but like, she's cool. Like she'll be, I mean, all right. it's, it's the classic way of trying to stop a conversation by saying there are ladies present. It's really shut the fuck up, but it's a more polite way of doing it by putting it on another person and their weakness. The king then stands up, and as he stands up, Damon watches on. And it seems to me that Damon is concerned for his brother here. He gives a look of concern as he stands up. Because I think, you know, the physical effort that he's having to undertake for this day is very apparent to the people sitting close to him. Alicent clearly sees it. Rhaenyra and Damon clearly see it. And I think they're feeling it. I didn't think Viserys was leaving this room alive. I really didn't. I thought that he was going to... I... 
thought he was going to finish his speech, enjoy a little smile with his family, and then kind of quietly die right then and there. I, I yeah, there's a moment where I thought he was reserved. dying, too. Yeah, they, they had a little moment where I think they wanted you to think that, right? I kind of so want to that, but we'll <clears throat> talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The king says, it, would glad, it gladdens my heart, fills me with sorrow, but it does fill me with sorrow to see these faces around the table. And he basically goes on to say, look, we've grown distant from each other in the years past. He takes off his mask. Allison looks real concerned and super sad about that. And he looks up and he has, got, so here's, here's what's going on. So we had a golden mask on for half his face, very bald one fourth, right? We're having the mask on golden mask. And when he takes it off, here's what's going on. Missing eye, you can see all the way through his socket and it, his cheek is actually rotted out and you can see the inside of his mouth. Yes. And that's pointed, tough. Pointedly, pointedly, some little bit of symbolism to point out here. Which side has the rot? The, the side, right side. The side that Allison and Otto are sitting on. Which side still shows the eye and the clear face? The side that Rhaenyra and Damon are sitting on. So, just, you know, keep track of that little data point. Show symbolism at work. Masterful, Spencer. Something I didn't catch. Masterful. Um, Aegon, so here, here's a question for you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. When the king says, when he takes his mask off and he shows his face and he says, I want you all to see me as I am. Who looks down? A lot of the room does. A lot of the room does. Like, no, no, well, really? that's I th- the thing. I thought a lot of the kids did. No one except Aegon. Oh, of course. I watched it. I, I, and I thought that was important, right? Because Aegon's the only one who's kind of like not there with him. Yeah. Everybody else sees the effort and they're maintaining eye contact with him. I, they don't look like it's easy. But okay. they're maintaining eye contact, but Aegon looks down, and I thought that was kind of that's telling. T- that's right? telling. That's very telling. He says, my own face is no longer a handsome one, if ever it was. Oh. But tonight, I know, he's just, he's just the best. He says, but tonight, yeah, I wish to see, great. wish you to see me as I am, not just a king. And this is what he's been hammering with his family the entire show. Yeah. I don't want you to see me just as a king. I don't want Renera to do what I say just because I'm a king. I want her to be happy. He says, but I am your father, your brother, your husband, your grandsire. And who may not, it seems, walk for much longer among oh. you. He says, let us hold ill feelings. Like get, get No longer hold ill feelings in our heart. The crown cannot stand strong if the house of the dragon remains divided. Set aside your grievances. If not for the sake of the crown, for the sake of this old man. Who loves you all so dearly? Oh, God, Viserys, please stop. It's hurting me. Yeah, uh, it's, it's wonderful, right? And it seems to work. Allison look, looks over at Renera. He grabs the mask and he sits down exhausted. And Renera, first one up, stands up at the cup. As always, we've seen this before out of her. Yeah, she's the first one to trot him in the fence, right? And she... You know, I, I compared this to a George Costanza type thing, right? Where it's like, if you have to lie, the best lie is a lie that you believe, that mm-hmm. you think is true. And I honestly do think that Renera thinks <clears throat> that Allison has stood by his side in a pretty terrible situation. He's he basically rotted for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And she's there. She's still there. She's right next to him right now. She's always been, right? So that's what she points out. And Allison seems affected by it. She says, your gracious graciousness moves me uh, deeply. And then she points out the things they have in common, that they're mothers. They love their children. Um, and then she stands up and she says, I raised my cup to you, your house. Beat, 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 beat. Whoa. You will make a fine queen. Now, Otto you... takes note of that. Otto takes Otto's note of like, that for sure. Uh, we're going off script right now. Like It's like that, that line is going to be repeated and that has connotations. Uh, we're going to have to work around that one. Yeah. That will it. It makes me think that 
if the kids would have just shit, yeah, that there, he kind of did no. it. There, there, that Viserys kind of did it. Yeah, I, I went into this room going, the fire is extinguished. There's no hope of it lighting again. But as, as I said before, there are little cinders in the ash that are just being stoked alive once again. Just because of the power of what this man has accomplished today. What Viserys has so desperately gambled his life away for under a last fool's hope that he can save the situation and save his family and save the realm and everything else. And it's working! Dear Christ, it's working! The two and it leaders work. of these factions are coming together in this brief moment. And it wouldn't work if they didn't care about him, right? Yeah. Because for all you say about that's, Allison... That's what he's betting on. I don't think I don't think Allison's in love with him. I don't think he's in love with her, but they care about each other deeply. And I think that Rhaenyra obviously loves her father and a lot. And I think he's leaning on that and leveraging that. And it works. It it, it sparks what? change in these two people for the, in this moment. And the end of the whole evening makes me think it was real. The way that Allison grabs Rhaenyra's arm when they're yeah. talking. And she's like, no, no, you have to come back. And Rhaenyra's like, sure, I'll, I'll come back on Dragon Bat. We'll, we'll work this out. They We're going to start talking. They just needed more time. They just needed a bit more time to make it actually develop some solid feet in the ground, make it actually have, some, have hope for the future. But I also think it's a brilliant... You both hit... The Rhaenyra picked something that you know could be true and be meaningful. It's also a brilliant hit for Alicent in particular because that is something that's going to resonate her with her forever, just for miles. And it clearly does because it's clearly something that she takes a, not only an element of pride in, but she feels that is actually true and that she could hold on to among all the other things she just has to conspire with. And so very much resonates with it. So Aegon, because he's a really helpful guy, is like deciding that he's going to hand a roll to Bela, right? Because, you know, like everybody needs a, like a bread roll with their dinner. Yeah, and Aegon, nice, nice guy, hands I'll, the bread I'll roll. Garden. Breadsticks. Super nice, hands it to her, but then leans over and says, hey, I'm really sorry you're about to be extremely disappointed but you ever want to be satisfied just gotta ask jace goes stands up which, which, to which bail jace bail is like i'm okay i know Stop. that's what i'm saying that's why i'm like i want to tell jace i'm like, Dude, like just let her handle it let her handle it she's fine hey if there's anything you can say from reading the books and now seeing it on the show bayla is badass remember that you'll, you'll go you'll go a long way she's damon's daughter she'll <laughs> handle herself just fine um but he stands up angrily, but Bela talks him down. And Rhaenyra and Damon notice that he stood up angrily. And Aemon stands upward. When J this is interesting. When Jay stands, Aemon stands to meet him. Yeah. Brother, because brothers support brothers. Because here's the thing. All of this is happening. And, and, and what we have said is true. That Viserys, through sheer force of will and personality, has connected these people in this room. But there's one person on the outside of that circle, and his name is Aemon One-Eye. He is net. He didn't soften. Not even a not bit. One iota. Not yeah. one bit during this entire thing. The only thing you can comment on him is that over the course of this conversation, as things actually look like they're actually coming together and we're having a peaceful, pleasant dinner, he looks annoyed. He's, he's, yeah. His smile. He's got. He's, he's frowning. He's just kind of lounging in the corner, looking off. He's not engaged with anybody. So that's the one indication that things are going well. Is that he's unhappy about it. Yeah, he's he never is bought into this. He's on the outside of the circle the entire time. And my my opinion of this is that you it was never going to work until they, they dealt with Eamon One-Eye in some way. Yeah. And that would either be having to cast him out or to somehow get him to buy in. And I don't know how you would ever do that because he just seems like he's got hate in his heart. Uh, but it, he was never bought into this entire thing. Right. It, so Eamon. If Viserys um, had lived for like another two weeks and – uh, Rhaenyra had a chance to come back and rebond with Allison to a certain degree. Maybe this could have worked. 
there just wasn't enough time. But it would have been, they would have probably had to like get Eamon the fuck away. Like, well, I don't know. Yeah, that's a conversation gonna, right there. Like it's, he's probably got to be like, Hey, like we're going to, you know what? You can take the Iron Isles. Go, go to the Iron Isles. You're the new fucking Lord of the Iron Isles. Get the fuck away from yeah, me. The drowned God, kill him. Just, just, just make the drowned God no longer a thing. Best of luck. Yeah. Not even then he's got Vagar so he can just fly back whenever he wants to. I don't know, man. Um, so, uh, Jace just taps Aegon on the shoulder and he raises his cup and he says to Prince Aegon, Prince Aemon, we have not seen each other in years, have fond memories of our shared youth. As men, I hope we may yet be friends and allies to you and your family. Good health, dear uncles. So plays his part. Bela talks him down. It's a good, good partnership. They well, got going I love how, I think it's Viserys. I couldn't, I wasn't clear who said it, but I think it's Viserys who even says, well done, my boy. Yeah. It's like, he does. He says it. Yes, because it is. He was pissed, but he controlled it. He's said what needed to be said, and it's well said in terms of hitting the notes that we can say. Now, you, Hawkeye that you are, at this moment, we hear Helena's prophecy for the episode. Please, again, repeat what she says, because we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Helena, like all of her prophecies so far, they, they, she's just muttering something to herself. She says, yes. beware, beware the beast beneath the boards. And then she stands up and says, I'd like to toast Bela and Reyna. They'll be married soon. It isn't so bad, mostly. He just ignores you, except when he's drunk. Best speech of the evening. Bravo. Well done. You made up Viserys, you know, close number two. That one right there actually gets people in the room laughing. There are scattered laughing around the table to that line. And even Otto, even Otto is looking at her going, you know what? Well said. Well done. He's, he's actually being nodded, nodding and supportive of Helena right now. So here's Helena from the book. Though plumper and less striking than most Targaryens, Helena was a pleasant, happy girl, and all agreed she would make a fine mother. That's it. So that's all that, we that, that's all that, we get from her. That is the entirety um, of her description. That's it. and uh, and then events that happened to her later. Done. This yeah. Is a so lot it's, more uh, we don't know. I mean, yeah. They, they, so they're doing they're doing the same thing with her character they did with Viserys, which is like they took. Not much. And they are building on it and they're making it more complex and deep. And they've given her this attribute, which is that she's, you know, got something going on. I think maybe, maybe autistic or something, but she's also, she's also a, a, a dragon. She has dragon, dragon dreams, right? She's Mm -hmm. a dreamer. And that is, by the way, that's like, that's not like as rare as what Bran is, but it's pretty rare, uh, to have that. And it's something that like this whole family is so stupid. Like if the series, if a series was healthy, if he was as healthy as Damon is, right, mm-hmm. he would have noticed this in Helena and he would be absolutely using it. But everybody else is just ignoring it. He wouldn't just be using it. He'd be glorying it. it it's it's a legacy of old Valyria. It's a legacy of the, how the Targaryens ended up on Dragonstone. He would be celebrating it to the rafters. He's just not in a position to have anything going on with anybody else right now. So the king calls for music and I've got a little tidbit for you that I think you're going to like. Please. The music that starts playing, do you know what it is? No, I don't. I'm presuming it's by Raymond Duali. Yes, yeah, Raymond Duali. So here's what they've done. This is the ballad, The Dance of the Dragons. Mm. In, wor- in world, there's a ballad called The Dance of the Dragons, which is about the people living in Valeria and the doom of Valeria. And they call it The Dance of the Dragons, the ballad of the Dance of the Dragons. It's in world. It's a song. They have created it, and they they are playing it right now in this scene. I'm here and for you can, it. I, I love that. I love it. Right? And, and you can tell it is because it starts that really sort of happy, um, wistful, very like um, 
like like me- harkens like memories and nostalgia. Oh sure. And then it and it then it descends into sadness, right? And that's that when it starts to, the music starts to descend into sadness, and we see Viserys like leaning back and dropping his head. That's when I thought maybe he would pass, right? I thought that maybe he would die. I, I I very much thought that, but I adore this scene. It's so well. I mean, it, I love that it starts with uh, Jace inviting Helena for a dance because. If events had gone differently, the two of them would be betrothed right now. Because that was the and by the way, and by the way, the dragons are dancing. Yes, they are. It, it's 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 a wonderful scene. It's so cute to see them, and they're also not dancing in the kind of like formal way we so often see people dance. They're just hopping around and they're having fun. This is this is Jace being a bro, right? Yes. And I, you know what I mean by that. I've talked about this before. This is just uh, the word this I used to mean somebody who for Helena, somebody who's doing. So, yes, he knows how she is, and he knows this is the way she'd prefer to dance. Jace knows how to dance properly, he's but he's trained. doing this because this is how she wants to dance. And she so shout out to Jace. Only time we've seen, one of the few only times I think we've ever seen her smile on the show. She's smiling. She she's having beaming. a good time. She is beaming, and everybody around the table is chatting. Uh, Otto is doing this like hilarious little golf clap to encourage people having fun around the room. Everybody's Otto's in a good mood. Otto's bought in at this point. Yeah, everyone's having a nice, pleasant evening together. Except, except. For Eamon. Except for Eamon. <laughs> and, and then. In the shadow of the court. But again, heart-rending moments of the episode. The smile that forms over Viserys' face as he looks out over this room. As he sees the family he's always wanted to have, as he sees this just moment of all of them coming together in a way that he always dreamed and feels that finally, at the last hours of his life, he has accomplished, it's beautiful. It is just beautiful, and the music, and the acting, and everything, and then a shadow passes as a character walks in front of him, and all of the weight of everything he has done just comes collapsing on him like a ton of bricks, of where it, it, he's he has used every ounce of his last reserves and he can't hand, he can't hold it together anymore. That's yeah. That's exactly what, what occurs And it. You know, I think that they take, they take him away because he starts to, to howl in pain. And I think that what we're meant to see is that Viserys thinks he accomplished this. Yeah. He, he dies thinking he did it. Yeah. And that's, that's okay by me. I don't I mean, know about you, but that's okay by me. I mean, he is a character that has had fundamental flaws. He has had fundamental oversights. We can, unpack to the high heavens whether he was a good king or not but at the last moments of his life good god did he rise to the occasion in a way that no one would have ever thought possible so the king leaves and then they bring in a roasted boar and my guy luke makes a little bit of a mistake did they have to set it in front of Eamon? did they have did to luke sit? did luke have to laugh like no no he read the fucking room luke like I know you just got a W, but Eamon is not a guy to play with. You saw that in the training yard. And by the way, he doesn't look very happy. He's not bought into this. He's not said a positive word to anybody yet. Maybe don't make fun of him. Maybe don't. He's also He also rides Vagar now. So whatever joke there was uh-huh. there is just so gone. Now it is dead. The pink dread is a distant memory that he probably already ate. So, yeah. you know, don't. So, Lucerius makes starts to laugh and that triggers and stands up and stands up the music cuts out and he says final tribute to the health of my nephews jace luke and joffrey each of them handsome wise strong i, I love that allison Al- tries to talk him down Allison's like amen amen like, no, stop Aemon. no we're not, we're not we're not on that script anymore we've moved on not him 
Come, let us drain our cups to these three strong boys. Now, this is this this toast is in the books, and they released a promotional picture of uh, this ep- this of Eamon with a glass up for this mm-hmm. episode before the episode aired, and it, I knew exactly knew. what what it was. Yeah. And exactly what it was. It was this this toast, which is pretty pretty famous in the books. The three strong. Let's drain our cups to these three strong boys. Indeed. All hell breaks loose. Jace says, I dare you to say that again. Eamon says, look, it's only a compliment. Do you not think you're so strong? Jace punches Eamon in the face. Eamon, like, it's like a fly. Like, just, it's like that punch was nothing for Eamon. It was amazing how he just shook that off. Eamon just with one, with his left hand pushes Jace down, like, like, a, like, and giggles as he yes. does it. And then, and then after he pushes him down, then he sets his wine down. Aegon pre, Aegon preemptively grabs Luke and pushes his face into the table. Allison chides Eamon, but says, Hey, look, I was merely just expressing how proud I am of my family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Jace wriggles free of the guards, goes to run at Eamon one more time, and a wonderful scene ensues. What? Damon steps in front of Jace, one finger up. Jace backs up. Luke's back. Luke backs up. They both back up. Damon turns. On his heel. Look, cro- crosses his arms, looks at Eamon and goes, what am I going to do with you? And Eamon meets him meets his gaze and then eventually starts to look down and decides i just saw this guy cut a guy's head in half i don't think i'm gonna try him right now and aemon walks off but it was interesting that when aemon got in that gear where he was like i'm gonna be aggressive now toward the toward the blacks it had to be damon to step in to to talk him to to get him to go down yeah right? it had to be damon very much agree it's a well done scene it establishes the weird kind of relationship that's forming between the two in parallel in many ways of where one seems to idolize the other one the other one is looking like this is a mirror of my own past and what does that mean of how i feel about it uh but credit and to- he's going to be a problem yeah he's going to be a problem i think damon's thinking that yeah and credit to the actor who plays uh Eamon of where he does a delightful little cat grin whenever he's just smirking at people. And you could just see the little cat grin of when Damon's looking at him just immediately starting to reverse into a frown. It's just like, oh, I'm happy, you're happy. Wait, oh, I'm stopping and stepping away. It's like, and by the way, we should we should have mentioned that when a- Damon cut Veyman's head off, there's a cut to a- Eamon. Like, the, the whole the whole room goes crazy. Oh, oh, oh. oh, yeah. oh. And they, there's a cut to Eamon, and he's just he's Hard. looking and grinning. And I described it in the recap podcast as real, recognize real. It was like a look like, oh, all right, I see what you're doing. Like, not not remotely, like, worked up that it, he just saw a head get cut off. Didn't bother him at all. No. He was just like, oh, I, I, I see. I see you. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I like what you did there. <laughs> this... This is, he's already been dressing like his, you know, like his favorite rock band before, but now we got to see them perform live and he's even more in. So Eamon walks away. Rhaenyra tells Allison, look, it's best if we just probably go. And Allison's like, no, 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 go, no, no. He grabs her arm and says, no, don't leave. Like, like we have more work to do here, basically. And Rhaenyra says, let me take my kids back. I'll return on Dragonback. Spencer, I'll return on Dragonback. Spencer, I'll return on Dragonback. Spencer, I'll return on Dragonback. I think think she said she'll return on Dragonback. Yeah. Yeah, in dinner scene with Allison standing there alone. What could that mean? Hmm. Cut to someone with a hood on. I thought it was Hoodie Damon. I thought somebody was about to get got, but hmm. it was not Hoodie Damon. Uh, it was just, it's a weird thing. They, it's very weird to throw this in here. Very strange. This felt like a similar thing of let's remind them about Aegon's prophecy in the intro. It's that, hey, let's remind them that Masaria the White Worm is still out there. It was weird. It was, it was very disconnected from the rest of the episode. But uh, it was basically just an informant going to Masaria and explaining well, did you somebody that we saw there. It, it, it was pointedly Allison's handmaid. Yeah, who's who's yeah Allison's handmaiden who 
I guess knows everything about Allison is informing about things in Masaria. And now Masaria knows everything. Yeah, but what was interesting is that, but when the informant got there, Masaria already knew some shit had gone down. Yeah. She's like, ah, here we, here we had a lively, lively time in the palace tonight, right? So Masaria's getting all the information. Guard number three, guard number eight, and of course, guard number 12 were under payroll. Unbelievable. Yeah, she's, she's really turned things around, hasn't she? Um, cut to Viserys chambers and he's in bed. Now I'm gonna, let me, let me do it this way, if you're okay with it. Go on it, go on it. I'll just knock out the recap and then I'll just throw it to you. Cause I know you got thoughts on this and I think they're probably valid. So, um, Cut to Viserys' chamber. He's in bed. Allison walks in. Viserys is in pain. She starts giving milk to the poppy. He takes it this time, right? Because his day is over. Um, and he says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you wanted to know if I believe it to be true. So this, for all of us, we know that that was a question Renera had asked him. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the prophecy is true? Mm-hmm. He's answering it because he thinks Renera is in the room with him. Do you, don't you remember Aegon, his dream, the song of ice and fire? It's true. What he saw in the north, the prince that was promised. She says she doesn't understand. Of course she doesn't understand. He says the prince to unite the realm against the cold and the dark. It is you. You are the one. You must do this. You must do this. So here's what I think is happening. He thinks it's Renera. Uh, he's talking to, he's, he's continuing the conversation that they had, you know, last night. And I think he thinks that Renera is the prince that was promised. So here's the thing about my guy of the series. Love him. Heroic this episode. Very bad with prophecy. He's not very good with prophecy. Who is in Game of, Th- in, in the Song of Ice and Fire? No one's yeah, everybody, good with prophecy. Everybody, everybody misses the prince that was the, promised. The, yeah. oh, there, there, there is one black priest of R'hllor on a boat with some ironborn that is decent at prophecy. That's it. Everybody else sucks at prophecy. And the, the, the dreamer that originally got the Targaryens off out of Valeria. That's the entire list of people that actually call prophecy well, correctly. Well, and there's also one on the far side of the world with a weird mask uh, who talks to Danny every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, she, she's pretty good with prophecy, too. Yeah, but who the hell was she? They wrote her out of the show. So, yeah, clearly not important. Uh, yeah, she's very much important in the books. Um, I know, yeah. but they wrote her out of the show. So, Viserys, yeah. Uh, so, she, as he's talking and he's saying, Aegon, she keeps saying, Aegon, our son, Aegon, our son, are this. And then... She blows the lights out and she goes, I understand my king. And she walks away. He is still there lying in bed, hurting, moaning. He finally says no more, no more. He reaches out as if he's reaching out with his hand. A tear goes down his eye. It all cuts to black. And he says, my love. And now I'd like to read one more passage. Final passage from P- Fire and Blood. Please. Then Viserys of House Targaryen, the first of his name, King of the Andals, the Roiner and the First Men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm, closed his eyes and went to sleep. He never woke. He was 52 years old and had reigned over most of Westeros for 26 years. Then the storm broke and the dragons danced. Which is a wonderful line in the book, but... Very good. Uh, so, go. Okay. Uh, I don't think this scene should have happened. I understand why. And I in some ways feel that they maybe have written themselves into a bit of a corner with how much... I don't think white people throw around whitewashed a lot. I don't think that's necessarily the right term, but how much that they have made an effort to make Alicent in particular a more likable, more nuanced, more conflicted character. I think that they, well, the reason that they did this was to show motivation for why Alicent is going to do what Alicent going to do. Um, and I understand that, but it felt like one of the more ham-handed scenes of the entire episode and an unfortunate note to end on in that regard because they had already painted their tapestry. They had already given us everything. They already shown the tension between the children that was still a problem of the sins of their fathers. 
there's other ways they could have done this that didn't come across as being what ultimately felt to me kind of TV in terms of this just last misunderstanding when it comes to the character coming in this particular way. I also don't like the degree to which I don't, I don't think it does. I don't think it does, but it could be seen as in some ways Viserys fucking up again at the 11th hour. Um, I don't, Think give him a give him a fuck give him a fucking break. I mean, my God, yeah. after his day and he just took milk of the poppy, like, come on, people. No, the misunderstanding's all on Allison here. If you're gonna ignore, you know, the last twenty six years of pro- fifteen years of proclamations from the guy about who he wants his heir to be, just based on the one last second ramblings of a and guy also, that's like, that is dying he's, and drugged. He's also saying this shit about the North. Yeah, it's and like, the prince that was promised in the cold and the dark. You, like you she don't basically know what disregards. She disregards all of that and just hears Aegon and you must do this and then goes, okay, I got well, it. Like what? For a scene, that, for a sh- for an episode that was so well crafted, that was so carefully linking together, this, as so often the prophecy has been for me, feels insertive and disruptive to what otherwise is a very naturally well flowing episode. And I think they would have been better served by having Viserys die in peace at the dinner rather than have them drag out to this additional scene as wonderful as the last moments of his, I'm going to say this weird like the last moments of him gasping and then seeing aim at the end are beautiful. They're expertly acted very well done. Very tragic. Very I like painful. that, that he says his last words are my love as he's reaching out. Well, like he's like, he's seeing Emma. I, I like that a lot. It was knifing me in the heart when he was saying no more, no more. He's just begging to die. It's been so much. It's been too much. There's tears running down his eyes and he's able to finally let go. But the linking of the prophecy with Allison feels more like it's a necessary thing for the story that they're telling rather than something that's organic for the characters, organic for the story of this episode or the flow between the scenes that they've had. And it jarred me a little bit, unfortunately, here at the last moments of the episode. So I didn't particularly like it. I think they could have done it better. I still think it's fine. I still think it will work. But in an episode that otherwise was just so much on their A game... It's a B minus thrown in here at the last minute, and that just feels worse or worse by comparison. What do you don't disagree? On? Yeah, I don't disagree with most of what you said. I, I think I have a little bit less of a problem with it, only because we talked about this that they were going to have to figure out a way to make the Greens more sympathetic. They had yes. to, and this is one of the ways they're doing it, where Allison truly is going to move forward, believing that Viserys wanted Aegon to be heir, and that will make her her, her case more sympathetic. You know, if she either latches on to this stuff with Otto and then she goes forward trying to push Aegon as heir, she has this justification that makes her a more sympathetic character, which makes the Greens ultimately more sympathetic. So that's what they were trying to do, I think, in part. In part, I agree. There was some plots. Very much what they're going for. Um, We knew they had to do that. So I'm not surprised by it. I'm not surprised that they deviated from the books a little bit in order to do that. Uh, I, like you, didn't love it. Uh, But I see the necessity of it don't much care it doesn't really change a whole lot to me like it changes a little bit about allison's motivation but that's really it it doesn't change anything else about the story or what might happen or et cetera et cetera um i liked your i liked your explanation that was a b minus thrown into an a episode i think that's probably about a fair grading maybe a c plus it it was it wasn't great Mm -hmm. but it wasn't a fail it wasn't no no you know basically it wasn't the main series like establishing the prince that was promised and then having Arya kill the night king like it wasn't something that non it wasn't something that nonsensical it, but it wasn't my favorite thing. So, well said. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. You want to talk a little bit of best line of the episode? I got a few, so buckle the fuck up and, you know, ignore them all Woo! at the end anyway. Let's roll. Uh, one, 
open the one of the early opening scenes is just the initial confrontation between Rhaenyra, Alicent, and uh, Damon, uh, where the back and forth they have when uh, Alicent has come to greet them has some wonderful back and has some wonderful lines with respect to it. Two of my favorites being. And how exactly, from Damon, how exactly is that wisdom expressed? Hmm? In blinks and wheezes? I'd be surprised if he could remember his own name, or if you could. Woo! Well done, well cutting. But Allison's line is just, it. it. there's no response you could make to it. Is, but be assured, the father is just and commands me to forget the accusations you have hurled in this room today. It's just such a wonderful statement of power. It's just that, you know, I'm above you. I don't need to, you know, have any, your insults have no weight upon me because they're like little rocks thrown to the outside of my carriage. Just back off. Uh, Amond to his nephews, nephews, have you come to train? It's so delightfully intimidating. He just stares at them across the room when he says that. Uh, yeah, they're, they're like, uh, <laughs> I see death right now. Uh, Rainey is to Rhaenyra. You're right in this at least. It does not matter. You can bargain with me all you like. Bring my granddaughter with, with you to soften my resolve, but tomorrow the high towers land their first blow. They force you to your knees, and I must stand alone. When she says, bring your bring my granddaughter to soften my stance, Rhaenyra has this funny reaction where she just cocks her head like, oh, shit. Ah, yeah, it's like, I, ah. I'm not on my A game right now. This is my, this is my C-plus game right now, and it shows. Fuck, was it that obvious? Uh, yes, yes, by the way, Rhaenyra, it was. Uh, Rhaenyra to her dad. The Song of Ice and Fire, do you believe it to be true? Aegon's dream. You told me it was our duty to hold the realm united against a common foe. But by naming me heir, you divided the realm. I thought I wanted it, but the burden is a heavy one. It's too heavy. My, my only child. Uh, Viserys, my only child. Her. If you wish me to bear it, then defend me and my children. Great scene. Well acted. Greatly done. Um... Just the introduction. We talked about you know quality MCs in the show, but the the guard that yells out for Viserys as he walks into the throne room, a plus game on that introduction. King Viserys of House Targaryen, the first of his name, King of the Andals and the Rhoynar, and the first man, got- Lord of the Seven Kingdoms, and the Protector of the Realm. So I got a little headcanon here. I think that guard was was so was amped to see the king. God, yes, he was, was fucking. That was like a let's get ready. Like it was like fight night for that guy. He was amped to see the king. Like because they they're still loyal to Viserys. He's yeah. still the king. And when they see him taking this monumental effort to go weigh in on this thing, they had to be inspired. It's, it's not a quote, but best scene of the episode for me. And it's got competition. But Viserys going into the throne room is yes. I, I will watch that just to make myself feel things into the future. Uh, but great line. Can I prescribe that in the future? Like if I get think you're getting too Vulcan, I can just pick Spencer. Episode eight, you got to go back and watch it. Yes, you can do that. <laughs> I give you permission, Dr. Lee, to give me that prescription in the future when you deem it appropriate. This is a thing now. I'm okay. holding you to this. That's this the thing. Job. Uh, all right, got it. Two lines back and forth. I take forth. on this responsibility. Uh, lines back and forth in the same are great, but uh, uh, Viserys to Otto, I will sit the throne today. Just, Ooh. I am cheering. I am straight up, the king is here. Uh, Little line, little line from when Damon helps Viserys. He just looks at him and says so softly, come on, as he helps carry him up to the throne. It's just such a statement and an act of support from a brother that clarifies so much of their relationship for years that went unsaid or was buried under other distractions. Great stuff. Viserys, I must admit my confusion. I do not understand why petitions are being heard over a settled succession. The only one present who might offer keener insight into Lord Corlys' wishes is the Princess Rhaenys. 
it's just immediately apparent to the room of, oh god, dad's here. There's an adult in the room, and he's resolving the situation immediately. Quick. Yeah. Um, and then just delightful little back and forth quick lines, but Viserys, well, the matter is settled. Again? <laughs> such a great snark. The matter is settled again. I'm already awarding it. That's honorable mention this week. It's the matter is settled so again great. is honorable mention this so week. So great. Um, back and forth. Uh, Damon's little whispered, say it. Say it. Oh, it's just such a great little line. Um, Viserys, I will have your tongue for that. Thwing! He can keep his Woo. tongue. Great done. Uh, he can keep as, his tongue is a good one, yeah. As you said from Viserys, I will not cloud my mind. I must put things right. Great. Heart-rending. Guys, duty and honor and dedication all we can in the last moments. Uh, Rainey's. The stranger has visited me more times than I can count, Grandmeister. I assure you, he cares little whether my eyes are open or closed. That is an iron woman right there. Uh, Shout out Rainey's. Shout out Rainey's. Big Rainey's fan now. Uh, you already read it, so I'm not going to repeat it, but all of Viserys' speech at dinner. Just, Jesus Christ, man. Give the man an Emmy. Please. He's earned it. He's earned it so many times. I know Better Call Saul ended its season this year, but come on, give him an Emmy. They're probably going to give him an Emmy for it, by the way. I hope they give him an Emmy. A lot for of it. lot of chatter. A lot of chatter about that. Um, let's see here. Uh, the the two speeches going from you already read them, so I'm not going to repeat them. But from Rhaenyra to Allison to Allison to Rhaenyra are great, and there is just such hope embodied in them of two friends coming together after years of tension. Uh, for twelve seconds, like it always is with those two. Uh, Helena's twelve speech. seconds. I'll return on Dragonback. I'll, I'll see you on Dragonback. Uh, Helena's speech is my jam and I love it and I love how much Otto and the room are just eating it up mm -hmm. uh, and finally from Viserys no more no more my love is mm. so well done uh, I've given you a few you give me some great ones there's some what? wonderful lines this episode uh, I already awarded one honorable mention uh, already got already given that out so best line of the episode episode 8 House of the Dragon is well done, Jace. You'll finally get to live. No, hold on. That was eight. You no, fuck sorry. off. No, 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 I'm just kidding. Give me some. All right. Here. Best line. Best line of the episode. Episode eight. House of the Dragon. Lord of the Tides is and it was always going to be. Sorry, folks. I'm reading it again. My own face is no longer a handsome one, if indeed it ever was. But tonight I wish you to see me as I am, not just as a king, but your father, your brother, your husband, your grandsire, who may not, it seems, walk for much longer among you. Let us know. Longer hold ill feelings in our heart. The crown cannot stand strong. The house of the dragon remains divided. Set aside your grievances. If not for the sake of the crown, for the sake of this old man who loves you all so dearly. Exit. Exit. Exit King Viserys and a wonderful, uh, wonderful performance uh, and wonderful portrayal it was. A father, a man, a king. May he rest in peace. Wonderful. Wonderful. R.I.P. to the king. All right. So, Spencer, um, you're not on Twitter, right? Uh, I actually have an account, but I would never tell you what it is. Uh, what do you like? What do you like? Do you, what do you like? Tweeting weird stuff? Like, why, why wouldn't you tell me if it's just a if it's just a no, account where you no reason. Just ignore that entirely. Nothing you need to know. Oh, all right. Well, that opens the door. So here's the thing. <laughs> as soon as this episode happened, I. My, my timeline, and I mean, you know, they, they obviously tailor my timeline based on the fact that I love the show, right? Yes, but yeah. there, there was, there was thousands and thousands of posts of people saying, well, 
It's not Allison's fault that she misinterpreted it. It's not her fault that da 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 da. And she was uh, about she about uh, Allison blah blah blah. And then there was a bunch of people being like, "Man, Renera was so awesome, and so Renera's so great." I swear to you, like what we talked about in our our preview pods, where this show would be successful if the battle lines were drawn between green and blacks. Think about what it is now. The war hasn't even started, Spencer. Nope. We have the Green Council for this next week. So I I think you're coming with me. I am definitely going to the Game of Thrones convention in the first week of December. And look, Spencer starts typing things. Oh, shit. Forgot that. Uh, here's the thing about that. I think that we're going to see, like, full-scale greens versus blacks at that point. There may I be the wars fam- in the streets. I think the fan base is already separating. It's happening on social. It's happening among our friend group. Like, all, like we're like having tensions among yes. our friends, like legitimate fights in our friend group about this. And it, the war hasn't even started. Twenty over twenty million people are watching this show, Spencer. They are going to start filming season two in March. Ryan Condal is writing season two right now. George R. R. Martin not writing season two. Writing Wins the Winter. Just so you know. Yeah. Gate House of the Dragon is here. It is a. A massive cultural here phenomenon and here to stay. It, it, it is. It's absolutely dot like like. So I've watched Rings of Power and I like Rings of Power. I'm not here to trash Rings of Power, but it has dominated Rings of Power in the chatter, mm-hmm. in in the talking, and how much people are live and die on each episode. Are the characters of who they're rooting for? I mean, the rooting interest in the show is spectacular. And what's so funny is that none of them are really worth rooting for. To be honest, <laughs> but people are, people no, are rooting so. People are rooting so hard for characters. It's just amazing to me that, like, so when with this all started, me and you talked about, like, man, if they could capture 60% of what Game of Thrones was, 70%, it never occurred to me that it could get bigger than Game of Thrones. But I think it will. I honestly think, I, I'm, I, I at this point believe that this show, it's already got ratings commiserate with season eight which is the biggest season of Game of Thrones, I think this show will end up being bigger than Game of Thrones. Like, people are locked the fuck into this show in a way I didn't expect, and I love and I appreciate House of the Dragon is here. I think in some ways it's distra- it's it's hitting such a perfect balance that people didn't think was possible of where it's bringing the high-quality writing and character work and acting from the earlier seasons of Game of Thrones with the budget and the spectacle and the potential in that regard of the later seasons and making a hybrid of it. And... I think some people are struggling with that to a certain degree about what to expect out of the show and what it can accomplish. But I think it's succeeding in a way I didn't really even expect was possible for this show anymore. Look, when we were doing our preview pods, if I'd have told you 20 million people would be watching it, like, no, I would have laughed in your damn face. It's like, no, no. You thought six, seven million, I think, was the call. And by the way, that's a, that was generous at the time. I, I thought that I, was I didn't a, fault you. I didn't fault you for that. I thought twenty that was, million people. I know, and it's only getting more word of mouth by the day as people are just eating this up more and more. I I don't know where this can eventually go. I think there is eventually just a ceiling it has to hit, but it ain't there yet. So I went to like the local mall here. I live in Asheville, North Carolina. Shout out Asheville. Asheville's lovely. Mm-hmm. I went to our local mall. It's not. I mean, it's a fine mall, but it's not like the nicest mall in the world. It's Asheville's not that big. Yeah. And there is a little like bum, like I press the t-shirts right now store where they're pressing like, let's go Brandon shirts and shit. Yeah. You know, like one of those, like kind of trashy. I walked by, this is three weeks ago, Spencer. So mm-hmm. three weeks ago was episode five. Yeah. Uh, there was the first thing in the window was an option to buy a house of the dragon pressed sweatshirt. Oh God. Look at that. <laughs> Five weeks into the show, they already, already now they're sold trash, out. This for the trashy store. Yeah. But what, what did I do? I bought one. Of course I did. House of the Dragon is here. 
Team Black? Does it just say Team Black on it? Is that what you're already done? It is. It is in fact a black sweatshirt. Yeah, yes, <laughs> well, of course. I made sure it was black. Um, I want to discuss that here in a second. But let let let, let let's wish our lovely uh, a significant portion of our lovely listeners uh, farewell for right now. All right, sweet summer children, the unsullied. Thank you so much for joining us. We have enjoyed it this week. Uh, thank you for hanging in there with us. We went very long this week, and I appreciate you all listening. I really, really do, because your listening and your engagement with us makes this fun, right? Spencer and I, we're going to talk about the show regardless, but we take the time to write the notes, to sit down, to do this, because we think you enjoy it. It's, it's as simple as that. So thank you for listening, and we will be with you on Sunday night for a Reaction Pod to Episode 9. Okay. Okay. Jason Baylor, go. You said you wanted to say something on that. Oh, shit. What did I have on that? I can hit um, something. I can, oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Jace, so do, do you do you recall that in the book, I think it's, is it Jace's children? It's either Jace, I don't think, maybe Jace doesn't have children. Um, no, it's... Um, it's give, the younger children. Give me more. We're it's the younger. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. It's the younger children, I believe, of Renera and Damon. I might be Viserys and maybe Aegon. Anyway, one of them goes on one of these like tours to to, to figure out who they're going to marry. The same way that Renera did in the first couple episodes. Mm-hmm. And Bela, at this point, Jace is dead. Bela demands to go. And doesn't give Renera an option to say no. That is like, very to, accom- very, very to, to accompany yes. the child. Yeah. So I, w- I just wanted to point that out that like, a she's just a G, right? But she's she's very committed to this family in a way that like you might not expect. Like Aegon or Viserys, whichever one it was, is going to go like to the Riverlands and hear like which lord wants them to marry their daughter or the North or whatever. And Bela de- not demands and gets on her dragon and goes with him. So shout out to Bela. That's the only thing I want to point out about that character. Bela is so Damon and I love it. I I adore Bela as a character. She is great. And I'm going to be curious to see how much they go with respect to her character, including her epic duel with Aegon. Once the time comes. All right. So yeah, let's, let's talk about some things. Couple things. One, I want to mention my theory about Sir Westerling. You said you watched the preview for the next episode, right? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, if you do a still at like 39 seconds in the preview, there is an image of Lord Beesbury face down on the table, blood coming out of his neck. Oh, okay. All right. Well, but there you go. Here's the thing. What's hap- That's happening in the background. In the foreground, it's Cole pulling a blade and matching blades with, with, with Sir Westerling. Really? I missed that? Two of them. I suck. Go rewatch it at that about second. Two of them going to throw down in the small council over that crime. So, so here's what happens. So we, we know, right? There's what happens. They, Beesbury says, this is treason. We can't do this. Cole slits his neck. Westerling goes, that's it. I've had enough of you. We're going. And Cole probably kills Westerling. You got it. That is my prediction of where they're going with that. And it's, wow. it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to be, I, I, that, that, that for, if that's why they've kept and prolonged this character around for that kind of moment, I'm here for it. That's gonna be that's gonna be hard to watch. Okay, that's the first one. Uh, first theory. Um, tr- thing uh, here's another thing to debate. Uh, we have yet to hear the blacks mentioned yet on the show. We've specifically heard the greens referenced by Rhaenyra. The term the team black or the blacks has not at any point yet been said on the show, best as I can tell. 
Okay. All right. There is a debate in the fan base that they will be purposely writing that out because of the fact there are actually black people on that team. How do you feel about that theory? Do you think it has any mileage, or do you think they're just waiting for the moment to use it later? Because personally, I think there is just plain evidence we already know to indicate that they are still going to call them Team Black before it's over. But I'm curious of your thoughts. I guess my question would be like to people. I would I I would need to ask like people of color if that term would be offensive, considering that the, some of the Valerians are black. Like. So if they're, if they're making that change, right, they're doing it because they would potentially offend someone who's not me, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like, I can't, I can't really weigh in. Like, I would need to get more feedback from people of color if that's really a problem for them. If it is, then okay, I guess you can write it out. Like, I'd prefer to keep it, obviously, as a book reader. I think, I think it, we already are using that lexicon. It's already being used everywhere. It draws the line pretty well. It, it's very striking when they're wearing the two different colors. But if it truly does offend a lot of people, then I, you know, you're not going to get a lot of complaints out of me for removing it. But um, yeah, that's where I land on it. Very respectful, very much understand your view. The ultimate real flaw in this internet theory is the name of the last episode of the season. The Black Council, yeah. It, they're, so they're not doing that. They're, they're not. They're biding their time. They want to make it. They want to make it meaningful hereafter. And also, it's their enemies that call them that. We haven't gotten to spend as much time with their enemies anyway. So you know. And we'll we've seen there. a shot. Of, we've seen a shot of that, by the way, in, yes. in the teaser trailer, which they shouldn't have done. They gave us a shot of Renera being crowned. It's on Dragonstone, and everyone is wearing black. Yes. So this gonna be a thing later. Just bide your time. You know, chill. Uh, other issues I want to talk about, which I particularly liked, uh, before we get to some little bit more meat. Um, as you noted in your description of what happened in the book, the events that occur in this episode pointedly occur on Dragonstone, and then in a very limited basis in King's Landing. This episode moved everything to King's Landing, and that is genius. It's, it was better. It was better. It's so much better in my view just because it gives a chance for all the characters to actually meet together for these moments. We're going to debate whitewashing here in a minute. and That has a lot to unpack there. But from a character standpoint and from having a narrative standpoint, having the opportunity for all these events to occur under the same roof is great television and makes for a much better opportunity for characters to interact one last time that they otherwise don't get. And we get more Viserys, which is what they were going for this episode. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the biggest change, honestly, for this entire first season of where I said. The first season is a prologue for the events to come, but it is Viserys' story. So here's a question for you. I think they – so Viserys does is does take ill and slowly dies and dies young in the book the same way he – like in, its, in, in sure. similar beats, in similar beats that he does in the show. But in the books, it seems like he dies from being fat, from being – Health issues. Know, like, yeah. Well, but no, but like from from his excess, right? Because yes. Martin talks about him eating and drinking a lot and being like really he, a part of like always he, wanting balls and stuff. Do you think they made the change to leprosy to make him more uh, sympathetic because a vast majority of the audience wouldn't be sympathetic to someone dying from, say, obesity or diabetes or whatever? That's just sadly statistically true of where the, you know, discrimination or, you know, prejudice against those who are overweight is rife. And so, yeah, that might have actually thought about that, that that would have been a harder sell in terms of making him sympathetic to the broader audience if it was. And that really fucking frustrates me. That really, I mean, I I like the, honestly, I like the leprosy better because leprosy is such a fascinating thing. And there's the Baldwin, the fourth comparisons. There's all this stuff around it and and the face mask, mask the drama, all of it. Yeah. But it does piss me off a little bit that people wouldn't be sympathetic to someone dying of, uh, you know, uh, health related issues related to their weight. Yeah. Uh, 
Viserys' story also particularly resonated with me because I love those stories of where someone of a mixed reputation, whatever else, finding a way to overcome or rise to the occasion at just the last moments of their lives. I compared it to a U.S. Grant story, and for those who don't know that, I'm not going to go into it here, but read about the last three months of his life and put tears in your eye, whatever else you feel about the guy. But, Ulysses S. Grant, you mean? Yes. Uh, Didn't he, wasn't he write, wasn't he writing a book right as he died or something? I, I'll go into it a little bit of where, you know, you, you and I were both raised in the South, which still has very aggressive views on the subject of Ulysses S. Grant. I would say. Uh, as a general, as a president, whatever else. And, you know, he merits some degree of criticism for his role as president that I think is very much oversold. I think he was a better president than people think. But he, after his president, tried to make some money for his family by getting involved in an investment arrangement. And it turned out to be one of the first Ponzi schemes where pe- the guys who were running it were using even his name to market to other people. And so Grant bankrupted himself to give up away all of his assets to try to pay those people back that were not even defrauded by him, but, but were using his name to do it. But he's like, I've been poor before, I can make it again. Moment after that happens, he gets diagnosed with terminal throat cancer, and it's going to die in months. So it's a desperate gamble. He works with his friend Mark Twain, because that was a thing you could have as a friend during that period. And spends all of the last hours of his life diligently writing his memoirs, working tirelessly, not sleeping, agonizing pain. Point he couldn't even drink water or chew from how much of agonizing pain he was in, writing out his memoirs so that he could leave a legacy for his family. And finished them three days before his death. And it sold like crazy and it made money. And, and, his, and his family was secured forever. And it's a memorable kind of thing. In some ways, that reminds me of Viserys here where he's dying He's, he's seeing the last moments of his life, but he's finding a way to rise his vacation, and I'm just an utter sucker for those stories. But main thing I want to talk about is something you Wonderful. referenced. Wonderful comparison. Thank you for that. Whitewashing. Fan base is in arms on the subject of, they're whitewashing Rhaenyra. They're making her too much of a hero. They're whitewashing Allison. They're making her too likable. Curious of your thoughts on this, because I think they're both true, and the fact that they're both true means I'm okay with it. Here's the problem I had with adopting – let's go all the way back to the beginning – adopting the Dance of the Dragons. Yes. Is that if you adopted it 100% faithfully and you didn't make these little tweaks, there'd be nobody to like. Because here's the here's the thing, folks. Rhaenyra is kind of the worst in the books at a certain point. She becomes awful, terrible. When she gets to King's Landing, she is uh, – atro- she's absolutely atrocious, right? The, to the point that the pe- people King's Landing rebel against her, kill the dragons, you know, run her out of town. She has to sell her crown, the whole thing. Yeah. Like – there's no one to fucking root for in this story because Martin loves these shades of gray characters. And for whatever reason, that day that he was writing this section of Blood his, and uh, Blood, mood. he was probably reading internet comments about how the Winds of Winter wasn't finished. And he, <laughs> he fucking yeah. made some awful characters. And yeah. so I always, I always thought, this is what I was talking about with the last step, last scene of this episode. I always thought they were going to have to do some things to make certain characters more likable to have basic rooting interest, which was what you need for watchability. And the fact that they've done it with these two characters, I'm totally fine with because they behind them are the villains because behind Rhaenyra, all the crazy shit that Rhaenyra uh, did or whatever, they can always hand that to Damon. Fine. And all the bad shit that the Greens do, you can always hand it to Aemon. And that's totally fine. So the story is able to progress and you still have rooting interest and it makes it a more watchable show. So ultimately, I think I'm in favor of it, honestly. I in it. I think the, it is very apparent in looking at these comments which team each of the people is on. Of where the people that are most thoroughly complaining about, oh, they're just whitewashing Rhaenyra, seem to be strongly favoring Alicent and want more things to hate about Rhaenyra for going for later. 
Same thing with respect to the people that are saying, oh, they're making Allison too likable. They want to have things to be able to hate about her for later. If they'd only done one or the other, which plainly I don't think is the case. I think for both these characters, they've made them human in a way that is not immediately apparent always on the page. I could see it as a problem. But I think they've been fairly... I think they're still leaning towards the blacks, but so is the text. So, you know, there's only so much you could do. But but less than I thought they'd be. Like, the Greens are more sympathetic than I thought they'd be at this point of the story. Otto's more sympathetic than I thought he would be. Though I ultimately like Otto fairly well um, in in the text, too. Um, But Allison in particular. The, The one... Here's the one that I think flaw when it comes to the whitewashing of where if you make certain characters better, you kind of have to adjust everybody too. And I don't think they were making any effort to adjust Aegon at all. If anything, they're leading into Mushroom's account of Aegon. And it makes him look all the worse in comparison when his mother can say with a straight face and you believe her, you're no son of mine. So I think that is one possible trap they're falling into. And I'll be curious to see what they do with respect to it. Of where Aegon's the heir, Aegon's the guy they're going to, the Greens are going to put on the throne. Aegon's the guy that Kristen Cole is going to drag out of possibly a brothel involving two people you know, cutting each other while a twelve-year-old sucks his dick. If they go with the full mushroom account, that's um, what they said in the book. Yeah, uh, and if that's the account they're going with, this is the fiction they're going with. Aegon, no one's going to be. I don't know how people can be Team Green. Because of well, because of Alice, I, I, because of Allison, yeah, and ultimately, you know, Aegon does change in the books. He gets worse uh, as, he, as he becomes king. Well, he, he in a way, right? In a way, he, he gets more violent. Um, How about that? He gets more interested in ruling. Um, he does start to believe that he really is the person who should be king, um, and he starts making kingly decisions, like in yeah. a way that this, like the little creep who's just creeping around the dinner table is not capable of right now. So there's some like quote growth. Uh, it, growth implies positivity. It's not necessarily positive, um, but there is you know something there for him. Um, you know, to, as he changes. Uh, so yeah, that's my thought. That's my thought there. I, I, I agree. They're not changing Aegon. No, it's a notable thing that we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, it's a no- All right. Um, what else on the spoiler only? Yeah, I think that really covers it in terms of what we got right here. Uh, I think. Okay. So I want to talk about the beast yeah, beneath well, the boards. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Uh, uh, Helena. Blood and cheese. Blood and I mean, cheese. It, it, that's it. They're setting blood. They're setting blood and cheese up to be like a red wedding type thing. Because think about how many breadcrumbs they gave us in season one through three of Game mm-hmm. of Thrones for the red wedding. Like, and Martin gave us a ton in the books. Like, they're setting up blood. And I, cheese I agree. It's just it now just leads me to question of when we're going to get it. Cause they're making this big enough. They're making it like an in season kind of event. And I don't know if they can delay season two that long to make blood and cheese an in season event. It, Blood, if events occur the way I'm expecting, Blood and Cheese will be like episode five, six, maybe, maybe even earlier than that. Um, well, I th- so we're getting, I can already tell you, I already know, we're getting Lucerius' death and Amon killing him over Storm's End this season. This season? So Blood and Cheese, this season, that will happen in episode 10. Oh, shit. So we could get Blood and Cheese like episode one or two. Oh, of, shit, uh, I had no two. idea we were getting it that fast. I was I, I was thinking that, that we were just going to get, man, you sure? Wow, yes. that, that catches me really off guard. Because I follow this shit online. They, they've, they've let it. I mean, they've let it slip. That we've seen stills of the dragon fight and stuff. It's happening. I, I'm surprised because I, I was very much expecting that would be sometime into season two. Because that, that definitely makes blood and she's very early in season two. If that's going to be the case, like episode one or two, even. 
What if they finish the season on Bludgeon? Too much. Too much. You, again, if, if you're doing all this this fast, we're not getting four seasons the way George R. R. Martin wants. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of battles to be done. There's what, way more battles you, you than I want to add, uh, to you about you add to a lot of battles. Helena seeing her own death this long in advance is just horrible. That That's what it is. If she's seeing blood and cheese, she is seeing her children get killed in front of her and probably seeing what's going to happen to her afterwards. Or one of her children get killed in front of her. Yeah. So she dances. So she dance. So she dances a little funny, people. All right, give her a break. Girls, girls got a rough road. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Anything else we should cover on these? We are. Things? We have. This is the first time since I think late in our last show about Game of Thrones that we are over three hours. So I think this is a good place to call it. I thought we would have this episode because I had. I I told you on the the night of the recap I could have gone absolutely. three hours talking about it. I just adore this episode. I absolutely loved it. I do. Res- I honestly genuinely respect everybody's opinion who say that it's not for them that's not why they watch game of thrones i don't mean to like uh, dismiss you or whatever and what kind of kind of sucks for you is that spencer and i are both aligned on this right so you didn't get a lot of that opinion here but i want to say if, if that wasn't for you if that's not why you watch the show um you know shout out to you that that's totally um, reasonable one last and fair. hats off thing i want to do i'm pretty sure this episode was done by both a first-time writer and a first-time director on any game of thrones media and i think both of them just very much Set a set a new standard for the show. So please, let's see more of them going forward. I completely agree. All right, thank you, Spencer, for doing this uh, with me. I particularly enjoyed this episode. This was a lot of fun talking with you about the show. We got two more weeks of it, my friend. Uh, and you know, if you're you're sticking with us this long, you probably like hearing us talk. So we will probably reveal in the next couple of weeks what our next show will be, who Spencer, what Spencer and I will be gabbing about, what we'll be following. But I can promise you this: we'll be back with you on Sunday night for an immediate reaction to episode nine. What is it called, Spencer? The Green Something. Woo! All right. Talk to you then. See you then. Have a great week, everyone.